Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. I am Matthew Robinson. It is round three, turn one. And as we always do in round one, welcome everybody. Hey! Hey! Welcome. Hey! We have the whole group here tonight again. It is game night. We're trying to uh, do a quick recording before we actually get into the games. We have some exciting news tonight. S- bittersweet, maybe. Yeah. One yeah. would say, possibly. Not, yeah. Bitter, bitter. A little sad, a little happy. Um, happy, sad, as Paul would say. Alfred is not here tonight. Uh, he's coming a little bit later. He has a show. It is not uh, indicative of what I'm about to say, but um, Alfred is not going to be here for a while. Uh, Alfred got an incredible job of which he will maybe tell you guys about in his own episode, but um, it is a lovely, prestigious and awesome job and we are very proud of him and he is going to be moving to Boston for a little while. Uh, Not till August. He's going to be with us this round still, but in general, Alfred's going to be sort of dipping out for a minute. Um, On Friday's game night, uh, we spent the entire uh, the entire night doing Boston, thick Boston accents just to get him acclimated yeah. to what he's going to be experiencing. Sure. He did not care for it. No. Uh, it is a harsh accent. We, um, we will miss our rules lawyer. Uh, I imagine Jesse will win a lot more without Alfred around. <laughs> oh. um. <laughs> I don't have the mic in front of my face. Taking a shot. Uh, karate, karate. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, we, uh, Alfred will still be here this round. He will still have an episode, and he will Skype in when available. I think we proved last week with our uh, awesome interview with Ricky Royal that Skype works. Um, finally, somebody's proven it uh, after all <laughs> these years. Uh, Skype works great on podcasts and was not a problem. So Alfred will dip in when he can, um, and we, will not, we were not saying goodbye to our rules lawyer. That being said, we have a new member joining our, uh, our game group and our podcast tonight. Yes, we do. Yes, uh, we do. Not in a replacement, but, uh, but an addition. Uh, his name is Elder, and we are very happy to have him. Tom uh, is the one who introduced us to Elder via Strategicon, the convention that we go to regularly. Uh, and Tom, you want to say a few words before we introduce Elder? I would love to say a few words about Elder. Uh, Eric Elder and I met way, way at the beginning. I, like, like, I think we met at a Strategicon in... <laughs> 2000, right. I think. And it so was just you and I'm, like four other people. BC, there were 2000, people, BC. People would, bring, people would bring a bag of games and it would have three games in it. That's right. all there were. That's all the games. This is where it they was, were playing the seed game, where they were just putting seeds in between the Moncala holes. Moncala games. That yeah, was, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the only game. And then chess was invented. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, you know, uh, Settlers was, was in 95, but we never played that. Yeah. Uh, we're, 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 we're decent people. Uh, no, uh, the, Jennifer uh, Schlickburn, uh, fr- a friend of ours, uh, yeah. introduced me to Elder, and we started playing games. And I just looked at him, and I knew that we were going to be playing games for decades. And so far, it's been two decades. Elder uh, was an uh, Elder was an animator. <laughs> He animated on things like The Simpsons and all sorts of stuff like oh, that. He moved into uh, uh, video games, uh, XR, VR, uh, AR, uh, alternate reality games. He's a professor of game design. He's taught at several colleges. The guy is just mad skilled. He's like absolutely amazing. And he's also one of those guys that whenever I play a game with him, I'm always very uneasy because he's teaching me the game and I feel like 
I've lost before the game has ever begun. Sure. He is a shark. So in a way, he's like the grandmaster. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna pass it on to. I'm gonna pass it. On. Uh, I will say one more thing. Elder Elder has been in our Gen Con crew many many times. As a matter of fact, he has helped referee our very popular LARPs at Gen oh. Con. And and uh, and was in that he's in the inner circle absolutely well, and he and his wife he and his beautiful wife do a lot of cosplay they're they're amazing cosplayers if you have never seen uh, Elder as uh, you mean it? better than my Lannister cosplay uh, yeah <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> it was <laughs> by the way the worst cosplay in I, the history of cosplay <laughs> yeah. I, I showed up to their LARP in a Lannister hoodie and hat. <laughs> no, it, it was, I believe it was, it, wasn't it a, uh, a, a frat jacket? Like yeah. A, yeah. It was like a letter. I, I, I was trolling. I was trolling. No, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's trolling. It's the uh, Game of Thrones meets Riverdale. Yeah, exactly. That was <laughs> and, a cool LARP. And uh, how did that go over? How do, how do you think the 80 people that were dressed in I full changed. period costume? I changed. <laughs> I changed. I had an actual costume that I wore outside of that. I did not wear that during the LARP. It was to troll you at the beginning. But you didn't change on the inside. I did. I know. I gave it to you. It worked out great. I'm you, gonna. I'm gonna pass the mic on. Pass over. on though, you, sure. I believe you did say his moniker. Do we want to say what? What we all have these archetypes on this podcast that we go by. Uh, he is the guy that 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 may know games better than everybody else. He's the guy that teaches people about games, game theory, game design. So welcome, please, the professor. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome, Elder. We're so glad to have you here. Um, I think you're going to be a great addition to the podcast. Uh, You seem to like really heavy games, too, which is uh, there's not a lot of us heavy gamers in the world. Uh, There's only a few even in this group. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, the types of games that you like. Yeah, I definitely like the the heavy ones. My current favorite designer is uh, the designer. I'm spacing on his name right now, of course, of the gallerist. Oh, uh, Vital Lacerda. Oh, yeah. yeah, Vital Lacerda. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, Fantastic. He's my favorite guy right now. Um, gallerist is probably, if not my favorite game, is definitely like a top. That's amazing top because yeah, Tom. Alfred's favorite game of all time is the gallerist. So this is going to be super easy. This is a we simple did it, transition. Everyone. We did it. We just did it. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. You are replacing Alfred. Sorry, Alfred. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm also uh, maybe AKA the binge gamer. Uh, I've, I've discovered this about myself over several times at uh, Strategicon that I, you know, I learned a new game. If I like it, I'll just play it over and over and over again. Like right. I've, I've been known to like learn a new game the first night at a con and then play it about six or seven times. So you're going to help us melt through our eight by eight is what you're saying. So we have yeah. this eight by eight challenge where we're trying to play eight games, eight times yeah. and we need your help. Okay. okay. Absolutely. <laughs> we need Absolutely. binge gamers. Yeah. Can you teach Matt to play Avalon? <laughs> <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is enjoy Avalon. Can yeah. you teach Matt to enjoy <laughs> True. Avalon? Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, we are going to throw you into the first round. Okay. So um, last time, people were a little disappointed that we didn't roll for turn order and that we, uh, we just stuck with the same turn order. We're not doing that. We are not. Mm-hmm. Jesse, will you start recording, please? We're going to film this. Uh, we actually uh, started a nice YouTube channel this week, Edamaros Peleg, who is our graphic designer and all-around useful, helpful person who does everything for us. Um, outside of our web designer, Liam York, who's also amazing. Uh, Edamaros has started taking all of our podcast and 
turning the reviews into YouTube clips with nice animations and stuff. It's awesome. Nice. If you look up Game Brain Podcast on YouTube, you'll find it. I'm going to throw up a video of what we're about to do on that as well. We're going to literally roll for turn order, and I came up with what I think is kind of a brilliant way to do it. Now, we're not just going to roll randomly because we still have that issue of, well, Jake, Jake's episode just aired last week, right? So if Jake rolled highest right now, his episode would go next. That would be a little unfair to everybody else, especially like if the person who hasn't gone in two months rolls badly, they would not, we might not hear from them for four months. So we're going to try to skew it a little bit, but we're going to give a little room for variance here. Uh, and what we're going to do is every single person is going to roll a different dice, a different die, a different sided die. Uh, and it will be based on the position they were in in the last round. So for example, Brilliant. Jake is going to roll a D4. The best he can roll is a four. Now, the person before that is Jesse. Jesse's going to roll a D6. The best he could roll is a six. Uh, Paul, yeah, highest number, and we're not going to be choosing. Highest number isn't going to choose their position. Highest number is going to be highest, lowest position, highest position in, you know, first episode, second episode, third episode of the round. Uh, so Paul, everybody take your dice as I say them. Paul is going to be rolling a D8 and Trey is going to be rolling a D12. Alfred, uh, what, oh, sorry, D10, D10. Sorry, I forgot I had 10. Alfred, who's not here, someone's going to be rolling for Alfred. Alfred's going to be rolling a D12 then. Because Trey loves to roll so much, why don't we give him Yeah, a Trey can roll for Alfred. And uh, <laughs> Dimitri is going to be rolling a beautiful D20. Uh, Tom is going to be rolling a D30. Good luck rolling above a three Ooh. on that, Tom. And Elder, uh, because he has never done an episode before, we're going to give him the best chance of going early in the round. He's going to roll two D20s, giving him a possibility of, let me check the math on that. I think it's 40. Nice. Uh, so everybody, we're going to roll. Now ties, re-roll. Okay, ties re-roll. So you might have a number and think you're stuck with it, but you might get a re-roll at it if somebody rolls the same number as you later on down the line. Now, we're not going to re-roll until the end, until everybody has their number, right? We're going to, yes. You, if, if there's ties, you keep re-rolling. I object. Elder cannot roll a one. That's true. The lowest he can have is two. Elder also has a bell curve. It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Jake, why don't you start us off, Mr. D4? Jake rolled a four. Oh, he critted. That's a crit. Wow. Full Whoa. crit on a D4. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, do you want to roll your D6? Can someone give Jesse the little thing? Because he's a... Uh... Here we go, Jess. <laughs> Jesse with the one. All right. So if everybody can keep their number, we can line the numbers up somewhere so we can start seeing them in order. There we go. Paul, you are your Mr. D8. A seven. Nice. Okay, seven's good. Let's start putting them in order. Yep. Oh, no. Ooh, a tie. Roll more. Seven. Yes. So we're gonna put the seven underneath that. Uh, well, and I guess we'll, we'll no, okay. we should. We should not reroll yet. Okay, not reroll yet. Yes, we will wait for the rerolls. Alfred is a ten. Alfred's a ten. We always knew Alfred was a ten. Dimitri, Mr. D twenty. Two. <laughs> back there. Back of the line. Back of the line. Tom, good luck here. Dimitri, I'm going to roll below you. Tom right now. The, I'm horrible. He rolled at a this. two on a D20. A 30. Oh, no! oh! You were talking so much smack about how bad you were going to roll. Unbelievable. Do we want to change Elder to percentile? <laughs> All right, Elder. You're, 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 you're skewed D40 here. I'm feeling the pressure. Twenty-one. Twenty-one is good. Boom. 
All right, now we have a roll-off between Paul and Trey. Paul? They both rolled a seven. Eight for Paul. Two Dimitri gets another Trey. roll. Dimitri no, no, gets no, no, another no. roll. No, no, no. What do you mean? No, no, no. no, no, no. That's the whole reason we did that at the end because because he stayed. They only have a tiebreaker between the two of them, right? Oh. All right. Listen, that's listen. how you want to play. All the way to the end. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guarantee you. That I, would be I'm perfect. Be Tom. All right. So the order will be Tom first, metagame harder, uh, then Elder, then you guys remember, then Alfred. Then Paul, Trey, Trey, Jake, not last with his D4. Jake killing it. Uh, Dimitri and Jesse. That is the order of this round. We have rolled successfully for it. You asked us to roll. We literally rolled for turn order. Uh, you can watch the video of that on uh, YouTube, Game Brain Podcast YouTube, if you want. Uh, you can stop recording now, Jesse. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> So, uh, is this the third round in a row that Tom will be joining the first episode? Wow. Really? We tried. We tried to get out of this. <laughs> it didn't work. You had me roll a die. How on I earth know. could I that know. have turned out well? Uh, so, we will be back in a few moments with, uh, well, in a few days for us, in a few moments for you with uh, Tom, the uh, Game Master. You're lucky that uh, you came before Elder, or else I don't think you'd have that title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. And uh, I hope this is a great round three. Looking forward to it. Bye. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hello, and welcome to Game Brain. Uh, this is round three, turn one. Welcome back. You've just heard our live weekly, monthly, or roundly uh, catch up with the whole group. You've heard the big news. Alfred saying sayonara and elder. New challenger approaches. Uh, quick reminder, if you haven't already done so, but... The, 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 uh, we have video of us rolling for turn order. You can go to YouTube and see it. Just search for Game Brain Podcast on YouTube. We have a channel there. You can, you can subscribe, follow, like videos, and you will see an awesome live video of us uh, in our element rolling for our turn order. Seven dudes rolling a die each. It is riveting. It's riveting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you ever wanted to know what we looked like or what the game room that we play in every week looks like, there you go. Go check it out. I'm so glad to have you here, Tom. Uh, three rounds in a row. You know, evidently people want to uh, change up the order, but I will not let that happen. You didn't let it happen this time. Um, I rolled a 30 yeah. on a D30. Yeah, you critted. Do you understand how many times I've rolled a, D a 20 on a D20 in my entire <laughs> role-playing game career? Not many. One hand. Right. I can measure it on one hand. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad to have you here. I think we have a fun episode ahead of us tonight. We are going to be reviewing Tom Layman's Res Arcana, or as I learned this week, it's pronounced Race Arcana, which Wraith I Arcana. think is uh, actually uh, quite relevant to the game itself. Why is it pronounced that? Uh, because it's a reference to Race for the Galaxy, which the game is a uh, sort of a 2.0 of. Uh, oh, okay, but if it's spelled R-E-S, the only way it's the Wraith is, 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 is if it's Spanish. Raise Arcana. Raith. Like, well, I don't, it's, it's obviously Latin. Isn't Raise thing? Is it Arcane thing? Something like yes, that? Yes, it yeah. is. See, see, but, so, but the, in Latin, they do not say it this way. In, they in, say res? Uh, well, yes. Exactly. The designer in a video I watched pronounced it race, and I think that's on purpose. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But we will get into that. Uh, yeah. We are also going to be having our first debate. The theme of this round is debates. Let's tell you what debates means. Well, today it's very direct. Oh, yeah. Tom and I are going to take two of our favorite designers, and we are each going to pick one 
which we've already picked, and we are going to battle to the death to decide which designer is better. It's two men enter, one man leaves. It is the classic, classic Euro battle of Uwe Rosenberg versus Vital Lacerda. Tom will be representing Uwe Rosenberg this week. And in this corner, Uwe Matt- Rosenberg. <laughs> and in the other corner, it will be Matt Robinson representing Vital Lacerda. We are going to do this like a courtroom drama. We're going to have opening statements. We're going to have two rebuttals, and we're going to have a closing statement. And then... You are the jury. You are the jury. We are going to be speaking to you, trying to convince you which designer is the better designer. And then you will vote, and we will announce the results next week. If you want to vote... Now, since... You obviously have no shot at this because Ooh. because of the topic matter. Not, I, think not because, it's already, I think people already have their minds made up. Not because of the or, not because of the oratory. Better. I mean that too. But mm. should we give you a certain you know? Should there be a certain I handicap? No, like if, I definitely don't need one at all. In you fact, know, really, I think you're coming in as the underdog in this fight. Really? Absolutely. Wow, that's fascinating. absolutely as yeah. is Uva in this fight. Uh, I think you've taken the tougher position. The Uva Rosenberg. We will have wow. people vote wow. on our Facebook group. We're going to have a poll. Go to our Facebook group, search for Game Brain Podcast, not the Game Brain Podcast page, but the Game, Pre- Game Brain Podcast group, which you must uh, ask to be invited into and you will be uh, accepted as long as you're not a bot. Uh, go there and you will find the poll pinned at the top of our page. You can vote if I won or Tom won or Vital Asserta or Uwe Rosenberg won. You can decide. You might have your mind made up already. You might already know which one you like better. Our goal is to try to sway you to our side. We're going to we're going to change your mind. We might today. not sway you. I we, mean, Matt's not going to change anybody's minds, but I'm going to change. We're definitely going to change a lot of minds. Uh, so our goal is to try to sway you to our side, and we'll see who won, um, and we'll see who did the better job of representing their designer. We're not going to do this every week. We're going to do different sort of smash ups every week. It might be game versus game. It might be debating two just sort of generalized topics in the. Uh, in the in the board game world to poop or not to poop at game night i think the answer is not to poop well paul might take the uh, the con <laughs> on that one paul did poop at game night and uh it was not great <laughs> for everyone involved uh i think that one doesn't need a debate don't just you know poop before you come to game night if the if the bathroom is right next to the table just three feet from the table that's all we're saying people leaving the door open oh jeez. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the news. There's a theme song. It goes like this. Good evening, Mr. Mr. of South America. All the tips and clippers and see. Let's go to press. News. Mark now. Thank you. I went out of format here. Actually, we're going to do the news before we talk about this week's game night because I hit already hit the button. So let's do it. Uh, let's talk about the first thing up this week is Teburu. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I think that's how Teburu. it's pronounced. Teburu. Cool Mini are not known for very heavy, complicated Euros. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> the makers of Zombicide and the others and every Eric Lang game with way too many miniatures in it have announced a piece of board game technology that will be launching, I think, at the end of this year or maybe 2020, but uh, in a little bit. Um, it's OK. How do we describe this? It is a play mat that you put down that is sort of able to read the board state. Uh, so it, it uses an app, which is not new. Fantasy Flight Games has a lot of games that uses apps as well. But imagine if you a player piece, a mini, had a little chip in it, and when you moved it, you could see real time it moving on the screen. Is it the mini, or is it the sensors in the mat? It's it's both. It's both. It's okay. the sensors in the mat, and then obviously it needs the chip in the piece to know the dice have chips in them. So I don't know what. So I roll a six, and the screen knows I rolled a six. I don't know why that's interesting. Um, but there are. I think the goal of it is. You don't need to learn games anymore. 
the game will do it all for you, right? You just sit down and the game says, now this happens. It gives you options. You move pieces. It tells you how the enemy reacts. I think it's this is the goal of sort of what Fantasy Flight did, but they're taking it even to the next level of you don't have to, you can just play the game the same way you'd sit down and play a video game. You just, you just press start and you don't have to read a rule book. Self-driving games. That's the goal, yeah. So they, this is launching with uh, their next Kickstarter and it will be launching, oh, sorry, shoot. Uh, oh, no, you can try it in August. Will at, it tell at, me I'm an idiot Con. for making that move? <laughs> Potentially, yeah. Uh, but it is launching in a Kickstarter uh, with a new Zombicide game. So you can buy this whole digital system which integrates, everybody has to have their phone out. Everybody's phone is their player board now. The, then there's this giant board that the board actually sits on, this sort of play mat. Then you need an iPad. It's a whole thing. If you look up Taburu, uh, you can watch a whole video they made explaining the whole thing. It looks, um, it looks like not my jam, but I am open to seeing what others do with it. I have no interest in a Zombicide game. It's launching with Zombicide Evolution Las Vegas, it's called. I have to tell you that... Uh, um when you said everyone has to have their phone out, yeah, uh, I had such a strong, like, visceral negative yeah. reaction to that immediately. Like, I have been toying around in my head the idea of having a box at the door, and when you come to game night, you put your phone in the box. Mm. I hate it. I hate when people pull out their yeah. pull out their phones. And listen, I you get don't it. do it. I've actually, you're right. I I don't think I can remember you actually pulling out your phone during a game. Almost never. Yeah. Almost never. The only time I've, I've ever done that is uh, occasionally my wife is, has something that she yeah. desperately needs well, me to know. Well, that's the thing. It's hard for people who maybe need to keep their phone on them for children. With, with kids and things like yeah. that. Yeah, but we can I'm not we can great at it, though. I definitely, like, will check. I, I definitely can have a tendency at, at moments in the game to, you know, just sort of go, well, it's not going to be my turn for 10 minutes. Um, but that's often, like, a sign to me that, you know, there's very long turns between. We, we have some AP players. Let's, let's face it. We in do. our group, we have some p- players that have. A lot of AP. Trey and so Jesse. There's a lot of... Their names are Trey and Jesse. They're, they're, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you could throw people under the bus or you could I'm just acknowledge that, 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 is, that they, is there. AP is not always a negative. I mean, they're very strong players. Yeah, but but at a certain point, it becomes a, a negative group experience to to some... Sometimes. Some, to, 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 to a small or large degree. It annoys then, more people the more than others, yeah. Like, Jake definitely always notices when it's been a while since his turn. Like, he, he definitely doesn't yes. enjoy that. But that's because I think he's maybe not as interested in studying the game state or things like that in between his turns. So, right. so who do you think are the two people that look at their phone the most during game night? I would say Alfred is number one. That's correct. And number two is... God, I hope I'm not number two. Am I number two? You're number two. That's Okay, there you go. You're number two. I got the two right. It, it, listen, Alfred's always looking at his phone. He is. He is. He's always looking at his phone. You know, listen, you guys are both great gamers because you're able to do that and still be be present and in the, yeah. and, and in the game. Yeah. Uh, but it does. It does. Well, do, it what does do you think something. about this, though? What if your phone was dedicated as a player board and now you can't look at it because you're actually using it in the game? Maybe this solves that problem. Maybe, because but, I mean, you're not going to exit out and go check your email. And I mean, maybe you are. But. Absolutely, you are. That's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, uh, everyone already has their. Text. Everyone already yeah. has their phone out, dude. I'm playing through the ages on the second screen. Um, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> well, anyway, Taburu coming from Cool Mini or not, regardless of what happens, it's a big announcement in the board game world, and it's you know, it's rare we get these giant sort of pieces of technology that they're probably going to start integrating all their games into. I mean, like it's going to become a system that if you don't own it. You know, you can't buy all the new cool mini or not games. Well, I will say this: that uh, in the RPG realm, 
this game makes a this uh, technology makes a 100%. ton of sense. There's yeah. so many people that that play via Skype that uh, you know that that use Discord and, mm-hmm. and and things like that to to do their back and forth. They're they're calling in totally. from totally different parts of the yeah, world. If they could roll a die and everybody sees the results right there and they don't have to tell you what they rolled, that's it, pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. And for the people that don't play Theater of the Mind, that play more on a you know a map with a grid yeah. and minis and all that sort of stuff. The, the DM can be, you know, you say what you want to do, DM and, and, all and, of it. and it's right there, and That's you can see, you can see that. Yeah, I, I think, I think for that particular thing, I think it's a, it could be a real revelation. It's going to be interesting to see what people think uh, and do with it. Definitely take a look at it. I'm curious to hear what all you think of Taburu, and if it's something that excites you, or you just go like, mm, not for me. Uh, next up, um, everybody, you know what those Funko toys are? Those little, I don't, yeah, I never got it. I don't huge get heads, it. Huge heads, little minis. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't think they look dope. But uh, Funko Games has been announced, and they're going to, I mean, might as well use all those as minis in games, right? So right. now they've decided to start designing games that come with those Funko minis that are the game pieces. They already look like game pieces. They might as well be big old minis Completely. on a board. Yeah. So it seems like a natural thing. Funkoverse strategy game is coming that's going to use, I think you could probably use your own Funkos that will maybe have different character stats and things like that. That's kind of cool. I mean, if you already have a whole bunch of those and like that's your thing. Yeah, I, I don't think it's any different than any other miniature game. No, it's just it, it all, comes with. They're all trash. You might already somebody might already own a couple hundred miniatures. <laughs> Not all trash, Tom. <laughs> God damn it! Uh, Gloomhaven early access is live on Steam. This is the most interesting thing that happened this week to me. So Gloomhaven is the number one board game uh, on BGG and a very popular game. They have been designing a video game version of it. It is not a one to one direct. Uh, remake of the board game it is an adjacent game that uses the exact same mechanisms to create a new game uh that is a single player version of gloomhaven i know in the future they're going to have online where you can play with other people um a very early beta you must think of this as a beta maybe even an alpha this is an early stage of the game uh and they are you can spend 24 dollars on steam right now to be uh, a guinea pig for them and help beta test it and try it out. The game might be more expensive later on when it really announced, but you know, really launches. So you might be getting in cheap. Now, have you tried it yet? Yeah, I play. I put about four hours into it. Do you feel that because in this very early access state, yeah. sometimes these games are more alpha than beta? Is this, yeah, is this more of an alpha test? No, or this, is this is a full? game. This is a game. Okay. Now it's missing features. Like when you go to the menu, there's only one option, which is there's the campaign mode is locked out, the tutorial is locked out, the online is locked out. The sure. only thing that's there right now is adventure mode, which is sort of a... What's interesting to me is it's Gloomhaven as a roguelite. So what's a roguelike? A roguelike is a game wherein uh, you get one shot at it. If you die, that's the end of the game, and you try again. Right. Okay? Roguelike video games are amazing. I love them. They're some of my favorite. Darkest Dungeon, Slay the Spire, things like that. Um this is the literally the exact if you know how to play gloomhaven you don't need to learn anything it is gloomhaven and in fact all the characters in the game are the exact same games from gloomhaven their cards are exactly the same their decks are exactly the same if you know those characters that's the barrier to entry in gloomhaven is each character is a deck of cards that you need to know really well to be able to pilot that character sure so if you already know them like i actually i'm very comfortable with the scoundrel i'm very comfortable with the Cragheart. Those two, I was able to make a team of those two. There's only four characters in the game right now. Right. Um, and you can only make combination teams of two of those, but any combination of those four is available. So I took Craghart and Scoundrel, and I knew their cards pretty well, and I, I, won, I won the first mission. It's not very hard. I will say that I think they're going to, you know, the difficulty is not like, re- like I was playing on normal and I, I breezed through it. And Gloomhaven's hard. Gloomhaven's a hard game. Um, but 
and I've heard that people play it on hard. They're saying like that's sort of normal. That's sort of like the, the base board game normal. So the AI is not quite up to snuff yet. Potentially, yeah. Or at least like, yeah, it's still, you know. By the way, in a beta, that's perfectly yeah, acceptable. that's fine. Uh, the, look, Gloomhaven is a, very, is a, is a really tight game. It's uh, it's like the Martin Wallace of like uh, <laughs> miniature skirmish games because it's like one, if you make one bad play, you're done. Like you're not going to win in Gloomhaven. Like it, the, the, most of the scenarios are that tight. Like, you really have to plan perfectly. Um, and that's the fun of the game. I think that's the game Isaac wants is this. You really need to be terrified at all times and you need to make proper plays. And it's, there's like, you know, action economy and y- y- every card is so valuable. And, and the times when you're resting and spending those and you feel that in the game, like it still has that, even though it's like I, I won the first scenario pretty easily. It's still you still felt like, oh, if I I, I could have lost in one other turn, like if I had blown one turn. Okay. Um, so it still has that like dancing on a knife's edge kind of feel of Gloomhaven. Um, I Can think I... it's worth a shot. My, my only uh, negative is a big part of Gloomhaven is the modifier deck, mm-hmm. which is every time you do anything, there's no dice in the game. So the dice are, uh, are a stacked deck. So, you know, it, it's like stacked dice. So basically like if you blow through all your crits, you know the rest of the deck has no crits in it, so it's a more dangerous deck, and vice versa. If you, right, if right, you right. haven't seen any crits yet, and you've gotten, you've seen all the the bomb cards, you know, you you know, you know you've got some good stuff coming. So it still has that, but it's this tiny little text on the screen. Like that's a huge part of the game. Is I attack you. And many times when I was playing the game, I attacked the person and no damage was done to them. And I was like, I didn't even see what I drew. You like, never I, even, right, right, right. It, I need a big thing on the screen that says you drew the plus two. It did, you know, or, you know, but right, it, because deck tracking is a big part. Yeah, of the game. I understand they're trying to like obfuscate the system behind and just like immerse you in it. But I'm like, that's the game, guys. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's, that, that is how it goes away from just pure randomness and becomes right. something where you can yeah. manage odds. And I had to search for that information. It wasn't sure. just right there for me. Now, can I buy Funko skins to put on the, <laughs> uh, on the characters oh, with, the, geez, with no. the big face? Can I? Oh, geez. Just Not yet. Because it's a miniature game. Yeah. Just to be clear. Uh, okay. So, yeah. I, I, look, I recommend you give it a shot. If, if you love Gloomhaven, this will scratch your Gloomhaven itch by yourself. And we all know Gloomhaven is a beast to, t- to get to the table and set up. It's 30 minutes of just prep before you're even doing anything in that game. So it's very nice to be able to just hit you know, play on Steam. And there it is. PC only. Not Mac. Not iOS. PC only. In beta. That's racist. If you're interested, try it out. Well, it's definitely platformist. Okay, so we've talked about the good news on the digital front for board games. Can we talk about the bad news on the digital front? Tell us. Terraforming Mars. The digital company that made uh, the Terraforming Mars app has gone under. Yeah, Lucky Hammers has called it quits, according to BGG. They're gone. So that iOS app that we've all been clamoring for and dying for and waiting for, poof. Right. Now, some people listening will go, but I'm in on the iOS beta. I already have it on my phone. It disappears next week. It's going to erase itself off your phone in a week. That sucks. <laughs> That's a bummer. And there is no announcement that somebody's taking it over. Look, I feel like it'd be silly if somebody didn't, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? At this point... Uh, then it gets into contracts. It gets into to, you know all sorts of... There's so many ways things can disappear and not reappear, even though they make all the sense in the yeah. world. So, I mean, I don't know if it's going to disappear from my Steam library, but it's going to disappear from your phones. It, it's um, such a hit, I have a hard time seeing somebody not resurrecting yeah. it. But boy, oh boy, this is going to be a delay. Yeah, and I was thinking any day it was going to come out on iOS, and now no more. Uh, that's sad news. 
Um, Reiner Knizia has announced a new edition of Quest for El Dorado. I've not played that. Have you, Tom? I have never played that. I have seen it played. I've seen it played by a lot of people. I've talked to people about it. It's a deck builder. Dominion-esque. It is a, it is, it's a deck builder, but it has a board. It has a, you know, so it's, uh, look, when Reiner is, is rocking it. And by the way, he's, Reiner is having a little bit of a resurgence. He's had some pretty decent games come out in the last few years. Uh, Reiner back in the 1990s at the at the nascent beginning of the Eurogame mm-hmm. uh, um, mission, he was crushing it. I mean, yeah. he had so many amazing game after amazing game. And then he just started turning out so many games that they couldn't all be good and, and, and quality kind of dipped. And Yeah, we'll get into that more when you, when you start talking about Uwe Rosenberg. But, you know, go ahead. Oh, oh excellent. Talking about nice, Reiner. nice. Point Robinson. Uh, but uh, he's starting to have a comeback, and I would actually like to really try Quest for Eldorado. What's your I, favorite Reiner Knizia game? My absolute favorite Reiner Knizia game is uh, Taj Mahal. Okay. Taj Mahal is absolutely I've played important. that. It's really fun. I can't say I love Reiner Knizia. Have you played Samurai with me? Um, I don't know. Did we? I can't remember. It's amazing. I it's, guess I can't you remember. Would, it, you so would remember not. if you did. It's got this okay. gorgeous board uh, that looks like the, the all the islands of Japan. Okay, it is stunning. Uh, High society is is I love that game. The greatest, That's really fun. My favorite filler of all time. That's really it's fun. Absolutely amazing. Through the ages, uh, uh, not through the ages. Uh, through the desert. Yeah, I haven't played that one. Pretty incredible. It's basically okay. multiplayer go. Yeah. Okay. With a theme. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get excited by by an idea of a Reiner Knizia game. Doesn't mm-hmm. excite. It just to me feels like it's. I haven't played Tigers and Euphrates or Raw. I guess those are. You've sort of never the played games. either of those. No, I guess that's. I, I guess I, I haven't played enough to really have an opinion. Uh, as the I truth, will, I will say this is kind of a games on the brain part, but that but I do kind of want to pull out old filler games yeah and bring them just bring them to your game night yeah, yeah, bring yeah. them out to our game night and just re because most of these people have never played some of these games and yeah they're, and they're great and it's a filler so that means we won't be playing avalon that night there you go amazing win, win. i love i'm so win, excited for this win this sounds absolutely amazing no i will say this i will say that um modern board gaming uh the designers stand on the shoulder of giants right so yeah. no no he, I, there's, there's, make, he's orson wells for sure like, sure. He's definitely like, he, 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 you know, he, he created, he, he sort of set the foundation for everybody else. Yeah. 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 And so I think you gotta, you gotta give your due and you gotta, you gotta judge those games that they came from nowhere and they made this amazing thing. Totally. I can uh, see that. But I will also say this is that, um, the filler games, the shorter games, those are the ones that you don't, uh, that, that hold up even better than the longer, bigger games. Sure, sure. Uh, because they're, they're just kind of pure, simple distillations of an idea. Right. All right. I, I, you know what? I'm gonna, I need to play some more Reiner Knizia. And we'll, we'll update people on how that's going. I want to try. If you haven't played games. Samurai, it's, it, it's, okay. it's amazing. I want to try a bunch of Reiner games. Done. Uh, just a quick thing. Uh, two games we reviewed before either of them uh, got big video reviews this week. Pipeline and PAX Premier Second Edition, which have been already reviewed on our podcast, uh, were reviewed by the two biggest uh, board game video, video reviewers, YouTube reviewers. Shut up, uh, sit down. Shut up and sit down. Did Pipeline and No Pun Included did uh, PAX Premier Second Edition. They both got very positive reviews. Um, and how, I think, how could they not? I know. Well, They're I think wonderful. it's rare that, that these two places sort of dip into this world is a big deal. For Shut Up and Sit Down to get into a pretty heavy economic game it's true. and for NPI to get into a PAX game, uh, I think these heavy games are having a bit of a, uh, a moment right now. I agree. I agree. I, I, I think those guys um, tend to love things more on the, on the midweight side. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, they they all they all have uh, you know some games that they love. That I'd say Shut Up and Sit Down tends uh, much towards lighter, even to light to medium. Games. Light to medium. I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's fair. You know, I, I think uh, no pun inclu- uh, no pun included. I think uh, you know when they say Sidereal Confluence is one of their is their game of the year yeah. one year. That's sort of them staking out. You know, putting a, a flag in the sand and saying, you know what, we like heavier stuff too. Yeah, sure. we, we do absolutely. So that's awesome. But to do a PAX game is definitely like really diving in, not just dipping your toe. Oh no, big time. Um, so check out those reviews. We definitely recommend watching them. Um, and these are two of the best games of the year. Uh, another cool thing, Love Letter has a new edition coming out in 2019. A couple interesting things there. The first one is that it plays to six players, uh, which I think is exciting. Um, uh, Rodney Smith of Watch It Play did a great video explaining it. I've played Love Letter probably 100 times in my life. Um, Easily. The new cards actually seem really cool. Um, they're worth checking out. There's two new roles in the game. It's, it's what extends it to six players. I'm super excited to play it in six players. I think it sounds fun. The spy card, uh, I won't spoil it, but check it out. It actually sounds very cool. Yeah, it's it, another way to to potentially get victory. Points. It is a simplification of a, a game called Citadels, which came out a long time ago. Bruno, yes. Bruno Calfa. Yeah. Um, Say that again. Bruno Calfa. I just wanted to hear you do a, a Espanol. Es Calfa. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Espanol. I mean, not Espanol, <laughs> but it sounds that way. Catalan. What, yeah, Catalan. Okay. A little bit, but it's not. Um, yeah, uh, Bruno Calfa, uh, uh, I think, or is it Bruno Faduti? I don't know. One of those guys, one of the Brunos. Faduti, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, did, uh, did Citadels, uh, which is a great, everybody has one role. You can switch your role over Fiduity. time, but if you can guess who's, uh, who did, who did, who, who, yeah. is, who is which, uh, you can gain advantages on them. Uh, that one was sort of a race to a certain number of city points mm-hmm. and basically love it or just strips it on down and makes it a simple game of find and kill everybody by figuring out who they are yep. or have the most important role when the, when the deck runs out. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful game. My family loves to play it. We'll play that anytime. Yep. Drop of the hat. So I'm excited for this new edition of Love Letter. I haven't played Letter in a couple yeah. of years, and I'm, I'm definitely down to pick it up. There's an entirely new art package as well, which I think is fantastic. Um, very excited for the new edition of yeah, Love Letter. Yeah, um, African-American representation, right? People, yeah. People of color. I love it. Absolutely. Um, let us move into... Oh, that is... Yeah, that's all the news for the week. We didn't talk about uh, this week's game night, so let's do that. We're doing a little out of order this week. Sure. Uh, at my game night this week, we played Pipelines. Uh, which we taught to Elder. He never played it before. I think he enjoyed it a lot. Oh, he liked it. Yeah, very much. And then we ended the night with the climbers, which is a fun. Uh, I don't know what I don't know, block laying, moving. It's a dexterity game. It's not at all a dexterity game. There's zero <laughs> dexterity involved in it. I mean, you had zero dexterity. But it, it, it was. It uh, we'll talk about climbers more. And then the other table played Gaia Project, uh, helping us with our eight by eight challenge again this week. We appreciate that. Um, Tom, talk to us about uh, your game. I didn't come. My son uh, wasn't feeling great last night, but he will. Uh, he's fine. And I had to stay home for the third night and third week in a row. It was an earthquake this week, uh, so we're gonna be okay. Tom, tell us what we played last. Three night. weeks in a row. Let's just let's just unpack this though. You came over. I set up roads and boats. Yep. Then there for was a seven point one earthquake, and I had to go back to my pregnant 150 wife. One hundred and fifty miles sense. away, there was an earthquake. Yeah. So you leave. Okay. So fine. Next week, I'm coming, I'm coming, like 10 minutes before game night starts, mm-hmm. I'm not coming. Yep, and the same thing happened this week. Even worse, you were like, I'm on the road, I'll be yep. there in and 20 minutes. And then my minutes. wife asked me to turn around because my son was throwing <laughs> up. So, it happens, I've got kids, this is what, this is what it is. This I, is what I, it is. Listen, I have two, luckily, just, luckily they're, my they're kids past are past this stage, past of, that of stage. not telling you, not being able to explain what's going on with I remember. I remember it very well. I remember it very well. Yeah. Um, What'd you play? Uh, we played just one to start the to start Great. the night off. Great. 
and waiting for you, and then we realized you weren't coming. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't play Avalon. Uh, six people, so. Oh, uh, okay. So there not great. So, uh, so if I had come, we would have played Avalon. <laughs> oh, completely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, and, and then we split up into two, and the people played Gaia Project, so we got another Gaia Project under our belts. Mm-hmm. And I brought out a game called Tokyo Metro. Yeah, new game from Jordan, what's his last name? Draper? Jordan Draper. I it think. is. It is Jordan yeah. Draper. And uh, listen, let's talk about that when we get the games on the brain. Okay. Because I got Sounds a lot of good. Uh, let's move on to games on the brain. Guys, I have an exciting announcement for us. We have a new games on the brain theme song. It goes like this. Terror from Mars, forbidden stars, heaven and ale, great western trail, too many bones, game of thrones, order, Avalon, crocodile, blood bowl, time stories, scatter boys, rolling flames, code names, rising sun, cash and guns, scripts and scribes, five tribes, web of power, key flower, mage knife, arc right, escape plan, wingspan, games on the brain. Who is that nightingale singing to us in that song, Tom? Uh, somebody's crushing it. I somebody's have no just idea. Somebody's putting amazing songs in. I wish I knew who. They, they keep sending them in anonymously. Who on earth could it's, that it's, be? The voice sounds so familiar. It's hard to tell <laughs> who it is. Thank you so much, though, for that. Let's talk about Games of the Brain. You want to start us, Tom, and, and continue with uh, yeah, let me Tokyo, talk about Metro? Tokyo Metro? Okay, so uh, Jordan Draper makes really interesting, tiny little, like, Games that only belong in a Wes Anderson movie. They're yes. so they're so twee, and they're they in these twee. tiny little boxes. Beautifully graphic design with this sort of. It's they're very stylized. Very much so. Uh, we met Jordan Draper at. We uh, did. We played import Essen. export. And we played import export, which actually is a very interesting game that uses all the mechanics from Glory to Rome. And a new version of it coming out, I believe. Even I believe there updated, is, as a yeah. matter of fact. And and he basically takes that and rethemes it and, uh, and and changes it a little bit, but rethemes it into the world of uh, international shipping. Yep. Uh, which which I thought was very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we caught on to it late in the expo, and if you've ever been to Essen, uh, on day four, you're a walking zombie. That's yep. just all there is to it. And so. your backpack is full, and your suitcase can carry no more games. Literally, you're looking at, uh, <laughs> how much is it to ship all yeah. this sort of stuff? Yeah. It's like... $500? Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. So, uh, so we didn't get that, but we met him, and he was a very interesting guy, very smart guy. Um, he lives in Tokyo a lot of the, a lot of the year he has for yeah. several years and has a real love for it. And he has this whole series of games that all start with the word Tokyo. Exactly. Exactly. And we play Tokyo Metro, which is, is widely considered to be the, the best. It's, uh, not a light game. No. Uh, but it's not exactly a heavy game either. It, I would say that it is the perfect gateway train game. Interesting. Even before age of steam or. Yeah, I think it's I think it's easier to understand. It, basically, it is a Euro game that uh, that dips its toe into the train game waters. And what I mean by that is, generally, a train game has a certain number of characteristics. Right? Characteristic number one: a train game is economic. Right? right. Money at the end of the game wins. Mm-hmm. This has that. Mm-hmm. Because what? So do a lot of Euro games. Yep. Uh, second thing, stocks. Yep. You buy stocks in companies. The stock, the you companies are not do better. a company. You are investing in one and other players can invest in, in one or multiple, right? <clears throat> right. This has that. But right. it very stripped down. The most you can buy of stock in a single company is one share. There are only three shares mm. of each company available. And it plays, I think this is a one to five player game? Correct. Okay. One to five player. We played three. Um, so, so really stripped down and, and sort of simplified and okay, you can, because buy. anybody can own three and is, is a three player game less tight than a four player game or a five player game. Having not played a four and five player, I can't tell you. I will say that the game, the game didn't feel tight. 
So who controls a company then if, if everybody owns the same amount of shares? Ah, there is a, the payout sheet. As you move your train, as your train goes up in its valuation, there is a, at the, let's say, $3,000 level, it has payouts right next to it. Oh, okay. And the payout is $2,000 for the person who holds share number one oh, and $1,000 so for the priority person who, order. who, exactly, Got it. who has share number, and, share number and two. And just so we understand, this is not trains. This is the Tokyo subway system, right? Subway, yeah. yeah. Now, the third, third thing that all these train games have is they have a board that is built. You're building, building the train tracks and all that sort of building, stuff. Yeah. This does not have that. The, the metro system of Tokyo is laid out on this beautiful, uh, this is the year of the cloth map for some reason. Yeah, this is very thin cloth. I mean, this is almost like paper, right? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I I, uh, I know for a fact that Jordan Draper went through like 12 different cloth options yeah. to find the one that worked the best. Now you used, I noticed because Paul sent me a photo, you used plexiglass over the top of it like a war game. Yeah. Is that yeah. necessary, you think? Um, I recommend it. Um, I have heard from people that you can flip the thing over to the non-print side and iron it, and it. it but yours, yours does not lay flat. On irons its own. beautifully. Uh, no, no, not right out of the box. I okay. literally got it two hours before game night. Got it. Uh, but it, where'd you it, get that plexiglass? I feel like great. I need to invest in that. Um, just Home Depot. Just okay. Home Depot. I'll, I'll give you the dimensions of it. You go there and tell them to cut it. And 10, 15 bucks. No, I think they even sell it in that, in, oh, in that really? size. Your table is different, though. So you got to measure your table and see, what, see yep. what'll, yep, yep, yep. what'll fit there. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, I brought it out recently to play <laughs> Roads and Boats. I don't know what happened <laughs> when I brought it out to play Roads and Boats because I, I don't remember playing Roads and Boats. It's actually, actually a state of emergency declared. It was odd. But uh, I, I will say that, uh, yeah, there's 12 different actions you can do. You have little pieces that you put on those actions to take them. The actions are... Uh, buy a, uh, you know invest in a train line. Is that worker placement? Buy or? a station. Yes, it is. Okay. It's worker placement. Uh, um, move your person because in order to buy in order to buy a station, you have to be at that station. Yeah. And so there's a, a a grid system whereby you move your person from place to place. Okay. You can you can take a you can get a bicycle where you get an extra movement point to move around and things like that. Mm-hmm. You can grab the trains as they pass the station that you're in to take the trains to, to oh, other cool. places. So that's fun. It's got a it's got so a little a spatial it, element. To there's it. a there's a there's a kind of fun little spatial element to it and uh, the three of us who played uh, we had a really good time. Trey was like, you know what? I'm not sure I want to play this every day, but this is quite a good game. Which uh, Who won? Uh, the winner was uh, me, but it was close. It was close. All three of us were, were really close. I think it was uh, 9000 bucks to 8500 bucks to something. Paul played also as you three? Did Paul enjoy it? Uh, no, Paul was not the third. The oh. third was uh, Brian. Oh, okay. Brian Baldridge. Um, who doesn't come to game night too often, but mm-hmm. uh, but likes the heavier likes the heavier stuff, and he really dug it. Okay, he it was cool. great. Yeah, you, uh, this is one of those games that is very. Uh, you cannot buy it at your friendly local game store, as long as I know. Uh, as far as I know, you cannot buy it online. You can buy it through jordandraper.com, his own website. Noble Knight Games might have. Copies. Did you order directly from Jordan? No, I got it from Noble Knight. Oh, interesting. Why did you do that? Um, is it cheaper? Quicker shipping. Oh. How, how, oh, is the shipping from Jordan, like from Japan or something? I don't know, but I, I, I did know that, that uh, Noble Knights guaranteed that I would have it for game night. And, oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. And I just really had a, a, a Jennifer Schlickburn, uh, who is a friend of ours. Uh, she loves the game. She's, mm. she's played it a, a bunch and uh, is really active on BGG talking about what she likes about the game and stuff like that. And, and from her conversation, I realized, you well, know they're what? They're sold this out one, on Noble Knight. Oh, they are? You're going to oh. jordanjaper.com then, aren't you? I got friend? the last one. Yeah, jordanjraper.com. Um, 
all his games come in really small boxes, and boy, do they pack a lot of game in those boxes. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll probably do a, a review of uh, Tokyo Metro in the not-too-distant future because it is a very interesting game. Do I have to buy it? Uh, why don't you? Why don't I bring it Tuesday? Okay. You play it, and then you make your up your mind. Sounds good. Are you going to bring the plexiglass? How are we going to do this? Uh, <laughs> I might iron it. Oh. oh, we'll try it that way. Um, all right, games on the brain. Uh, I, the game on the brain I'm going to talk about this week is not a board game. Um, I'm going to uh, unveil myself now uh, as a new level of nerdery that I've never talked about on this before. I play a lot. I like pinball a lot. I play a lot of pinball. I'm staring at two of your machines right now. I own pinball tables. I uh, am in a pinball league. Uh, Yes, that's a thing. You can be in a pinball league, like a bowling league. Um, I like pinball a lot. I got into it about uh, two to three years ago. Um, Bought my first table about a year and a half ago. My first pin, as we call it. Um, and I got a brand new pin this week that has been definitely taking up a lot of my, uh, interest excitement. I got, uh, Jersey Jack pinballs, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, which is brand new. Um, just made in the last couple weeks. Yes, they still make pinball tables. Uh, you can buy a lot of old ones, but there are a couple companies today that still make brand new ones with exciting new technology. Um, I own two from Jersey Jack, which is sort of a, artisan pinball company sort um, of a niche hobby yeah uh, they're sort of high the, end the cadillac of pinballs if you will i own a hobbit would and you, I own a would you call Wonka. them the splatter of uh of pinball potentially i mean they definitely make more complicated pinball games which i like so there are there are i'll just give you a, a my two minute spiel on pinball pinball is uh a lot more uh uh, rules-based and strategic than you may think. There is definitely a huge amount of dexterity involved in pinball and flipper skills and things like that that you have to learn to do. But what made me fall in love with pinball is sort of what made me fall in love with board games, which is I love learning very heavy rule sets. And the great pinball tables have very complicated and heavy rule sets. And I actually own two of the most complicated pinball tables in the world. The Hobbit is a wildly complicated pinball table with a huge rule set and and many different things to do. It's almost an RPG. You, you go through this adventure, you level up, you do all this cool stuff. Well, you don't level up, but you, you, you finish quests and missions. Um, and you're trying to get to wizard modes, which are sort of the end bosses. Um, and Willy Wonka is made by Pat Lawler, who's sort of the, the most famous pinball designer of all time. He did Adam's Family and Twilight Zone and more recently... Um, dialed in from Jersey Jack, but this is his newest creation. And I love Willy Wonka. I have two kids, so I try to have uh, family-friendly themes. I owned a Iron Maiden and a Metallica recently that I think my, my kids are getting a little, my, my son is a little too old to, to see now because he's starting to recognize things and there's a lot of scary uh, imagery on those tables. So I got rid of those um, and replaced it with Willy Wonka and a Hobbit. Um, yes, this is a... Uh, very unrelatable and expensive hobby. I, I recognize that this is not a, uh, a normal thing to own pinball tables. Uh, but listen, it is, it, it is fun. What I think what we should say, what I can say, because I'm a little bit more on the outside. You, mm. you brought me into yeah, it. Yeah, I sort of entered you into this world. Exactly. And, and forced me to, in 105 degree weather, <laughs> carry your pinball machine. Tom helped me get it into the house. Part of pinball is setting up and... Uh, carrying 300 to 500 pound pinball <laughs> tables. And I'd like to thank Tom for helping In me with that. blistering heat. It was 105 that day, yeah. Uh, but uh, I remember playing pinball when I was younger and I enjoyed it. Um, but having played the, the machines that are out now, the good machines that are out now, uh, it really is almost like they had their own Euro yeah, revelation. they did. They have, uh, these games are complex and deep 
and you have to strategize, you know, you, you, you trap that ball, you hold on to it and you think, okay, I need to go up that ramp. I need to hit that target and that's going to unlock this mode. And then yeah. the best thing I can do is to, is to do this. But if I do that too soon, then I can't get this bonus. So there's, there's actually a, a lot of strategy. It's a lot of, it, it does not feel that different than a real-time strategy game in some ways. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And then, then there's tournament strategies and then just like, thematic strategies where you're trying to get farther in the game to see more things. I mean, when, when these, these pimple tables, if you haven't seen modern pimple tables, these have 27 inch LCDs night, you know, uh, with full HD graphics on them. Um, there is mini screens on the play fields. I mean, there's a lot of new technology in the pinball world that a lot of people who, why would you ever see pinball? A lot of people who don't see pinball games in the last, you know, 10, 20 years haven't realized that pinball sort of had a huge technological leap as well. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of stuff going on in these games, especially Jersey Jack games. If you want to understand how complicated uh, pinball tables are, I think Jersey Jack makes, makes these ridiculous flow charts for their rules. <laughs> Google Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Jersey Jack pinball flow chart. And you, and just, if you look at that, you will see why a board gamer loves pinball because the flow chart that explains the rules looks like, like a coin series rule book. I mean, it's absurd. It is not just for sex offenders anymore. <laughs> Everybody can play oh, video, can play pinball oh, games now. Man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's I've been very into Willy Wonka. I'm playing that a lot this week and learning it. Um, and pinball is fun. Let me uh, jump in. Uh, okay, so there's this thing that uh, there's two things that tickle me pink right now that are just the tiny little things that I discovered. Hit me. Uh, okay, our our president had a speech on the Fourth of July. Oh, jeez. That was uh, remarkable. People are calling it the Forgettysburg Address. Um, remarkable. Let, let's let's quickly state what you mean by remarkable. What I mean by remarkable is it uh, 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 wasn't the usual. You know, it, it wasn't uh, spewing a lot of hate or a lot of uh, uh, this sort of stuff. But it was it was uh, a man trying to talk about uh, U.S. history, who was immediately out of his depth. Mm. And he said, he was describing the Civil War, uh, the, no, I'm sorry, the uh, American Revolution and the War of 1812, and he was talking about seizing the airports mm-hmm. during, that, mm-hmm. uh, during that conflict. And well, we all know that the, the flights in 1812 were, I mean, if you thought the airports are bad today. Oh my goodness! Oh, yeah, boy. yeah. People have written people have written uh, uh, l- blog posts that are essentially letters like, "Dearest Martha, I am stuck at Gate Seven of JFK. <laughs> sure. I am not sure when I will make it out." <laughs> uh, uh, just, just wonderful stuff. Well, a guy named Owen Casey Stevens has uh, written a very short but very wonderful uh, war game. Mm called three if by air <laughs> it is the uh the air war during the american revolution wow uh if you're if you're playing the british you command the beef eater rocketry cavalry mm. uh if you're the americans uh, you can command lightning rod class war kites that's amazing <laughs> Uh, it even has its first module uh, or scenario that was written by a friend of mine, Mark, uh, Mark Tassin, who's a very good fantasy author. Oh, we, wow. we know him from, uh, from Gen Con. And this series is, uh, the scenario is called Rocket's Red Glare, and it's the bo- Battle of Air Supremacy at the bottle, Battle of Fort Sumter, where the, uh, the Star Spangled Banner was written. Wow. Uh, or Fort McHenry. Right? Uh, absolutely hilarious and evidently playable. Like it, it's, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a gimmick, but it also actually works as a game. <laughs> 
I mean, look, if you can laugh about these horrible dark times we live in, God bless you. Get through it however you can. I, I listen. They're they're not making fun of, of anything but ignorance here, and I think sure. I, I think that's a that's a that's a fairly safe thing to lamp. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, our president's an idiot. Um, I've been playing a lot of Thunderstone Quest this week. I really like deck builders. I like pure deck builders. I really like Thunderstone Quest. I. I don't know. Sometimes I just pull out games I haven't played in a few months and realize how much I like them again. Um, Shut Up and Sit Down did a review of Too Many Bones this week also. And, really? Uh, yeah, which is an unusual game for them to review. They gave it a wildly glowing review. I have. I went all in on Too Many Bones many years ago. You've never played it, have you? Uh, no, no, but I know a lot about I it. Really and like I really like I know a lot of people that that have put it up on the li- their list of like their 10 favorite games from the last few years. Yeah, we should play it. I think you'd really dig it. What's cool about it is that you can do a whole quote-unquote campaign in a night. You can't do that with any other game, any other sort of skirmish campaign game. Um, you, could, you, could, you could really do it. You can do the entire thing in two to three hours. Um, and, and you're doing, and so like the whole thing is like, you know, a preparation, a couple little skirmishes and a boss fight. And that's your night. And it's like, they're super fun. And every time you do it, it's totally different, wildly different and replayable. I think you should check out the Shut Up and Sit Down Too Many Bones review because it's actually amazing. And I, I went all in on it a few years ago. I have a ton of Too Many Bones stuff. I think we need to pull it to the table. Done. It's really fun how a, uh, a great review of a game that you, there's nothing, I, I, even more than buying a brand new game and learning it, I love when I, when I re-fall in love with a game I already own. That's a great feeling. Doesn't that kind of fit with what I was talking about, about bringing back totally. these older yeah. fillers that people don't even talk about yeah. or think about or even remember There's anymore? nothing better than being as excited about a new game as you are about a game that you realize is in the other room. I will tell you. I, it's a great there, feeling. There is, there is a space for that. There are, there are things that are, have hit the land of misfit toys and do not belong there. No, and should, absolutely. And should be pulled back. I think that's great. Um, um, let me talk about Magicians real quick. Oh. It's, a, uh, it's an RPG that was made in 2012, I think, but just came on my radar. I literally just discovered it. Um, Language learning RPG? Yes. Tray, oh. So, so uh, um, Trey tray designs LARPs. Uh, I design, Trey and I both design LARPs, but Trey has moved into the uh, educational space. Um, me too. I've also had a, a deep interest in uh, how games can uh, cross over to education, that, mm. that, that it is so easy to learn so much um, when you're playing a game as a kid than it is by rote memorization. Um, my kids know ge- geography so well. Because growing up, they played uh, 10 days in the USA, 10 days in Asia, 10 days in Africa, 10 days in Europe. There's these games where you learn the geography of these parts of the world. Hmm. And when they would have these subjects come up in their, in their classroom, we'd bring the game out. We'd play it again. Only this time, when you lay down Kansas, you have to name the capital of Kansas as well. And, and we just would add that in. And boy... They memorize this stuff in two seconds flat oh, because awesome. they're playing a game and it sure. doesn't feel it doesn't feel like work. Well, magicians is this really interesting thing. Kyle Simmons is the guy's name, and he was a teacher in Seoul, Korea. I think he was teaching uh, English and started uh, just creating a little role playing game for his students to yeah. to play, and it was uh, all set within the Korean uh, um, mythology. Uh, so there are all sorts of uh, Korean creatures and things like that. And interestingly, what he did was he figured out a way to turn a translation slash pronunciation app into the equivalent of what a die roll is. Oh, wow. So in order to cast a spell in this game, 
you have to combine a, a Korean noun and a Korean verb properly. And if you combine the right two, yeah. this spell goes off. Wow. So you, if you want to get better at this game, if you want to play this game, you're learning Korean yeah. as you're doing so. And it's, that's awesome. It's, it's, it's kind of a br- really, really brilliant idea, especially when it's set. It's set are in you a, playing it to learn Korean or are you playing it to play the game? You're, I, I think really what it comes right down to is that it's a fun game that helps you learn Korean okay. in a way that, that you access very well. When I was a kid, I played a lot of Math Blaster, which uh, was oh, the yeah, only yeah, video yeah. game my mom would let me play as much as I wanted, which was a way to teach you <laughs> multiplication tables and stuff while playing a quote-unquote <laughs> video game. Uh, yeah. I didn't fall for it. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, because they're, they're so, they're, because there's no game there. There, yeah. there, there really isn't. It wasn't this, fun. This is. It's got uh, three levels to it. There's the prodigy system where you learn and combine seven nouns and six verbs to create any kind of spell you can think of. Mm -hmm. There's the apprentice system, which takes the training wheels off and makes it so that you have to come up with your own noun and verb to to fit the situation and intent that you're in in the story. And then the master system where you are speaking full sentences using target grammar and vocabulary. And these are are in place of dice rolls for the most part. This is how successful you are at that is how well your spell goes off. And uh, I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And, and people and, can get that on drive through RPG? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. Um, that's super cool. Yeah, Very that cool. was really neat. Um, that's it for Games on the Brain. We have a uh, brief update on our 8x8 challenge. We did check off one guy project. Now, does another guy project count if it happens at your... If a tree falls in the woods... We have not Did been anyone counting. Play Gaia Project? We've not been counting uh, games at my game night. Okay. but uh, we'd have. To I don't just... think we need to with Gaia Project because I think we're. I think we might be done with it. I think that might be. It might. It could be. We're either at our last one or our second to last one. It could um, be. But we've been playing but a lot of Gaia Project. We may have. We may have to discuss uh, whether or not it it, it counts at, at my game night. Uh, it, it may be if the majority of players it might count if it's like a tougher game that we don't have as many checks on. Yeah, <laughs> but on Gaia Project or Avalon, I don't think we needed it. Yours, if we did no. Avalon at yours, it would have been done months ago. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, to dream. Uh, let's move on to our game review, shall we, Tom? Let's do it. This week's game review is Res Arcana, pronounced Race Arcana. Race Arcana. The designer is Tom Lehman. Uh, we've played a lot of Tom Lehman games in our life. Tom, do you have a, any favorite Tom Lehman games? Um, I, listen, I still, uh, I still love Race for the Galaxy. That's his, that's his, uh, mm-hmm. his opus. Race for the Galaxy, Roll for the Galaxy, eighteen forty six, which is a fantastic game that that's we a like. Good a point. Lot. A good point. It, it may be my favorite operational eighteen xx game. Yeah, great operational eighteen xx game. Um, a prolific designer, nonetheless. And and your favorite is New Frontiers, correct? I do love New Frontiers. I think my favorite is what we're reviewing today, and we'll get into that. Uh, the artist is uh, Julian Delval, and I will briefly pause to say that uh, this has some of the most incredible fantasy art I've ever seen in a board game. I, it might be my favorite card art in any game. I think the art in it is incredible. Julian is known for Ticket to Ride and Dominion and a lot of great card games, uh, and a lot of great games. He's done beautiful art on all of them. Um, but uh, I think this is his uh, masterpiece, and I think it might be Tom Lehman's as well. Matt, tell me. What is the Wraith Arcana about? Uh, I'll tell you what Board Game Geek says it's about. First of all, it is a two to four player game that plays in roughly 30 to 45 minutes. Um, and Board Game Geek says, in a high tower, an alchemist prepares potions using vials filled with otherworldly fluids. In a sacred grove, a druid grinds herbs for a mystical ritual. In the catacombs, a necromancer summons a bone dragon. Welcome to the world of Wraith Arcana. 
In it, life, death, Elon, calm, and gold are the essences that fuel the art of magic. Choose your mage, gather essences, craft unique artifacts, and use them to summon dragons, conquer places of power, and achieve victory. Designed by Tom Lehman and richly illustrated by Julian Devil, Ray's Arcana offers a unique gaming experience. This is... Thank you, Tom. That was gorgeous. It almost reminded me of some of the songs we've heard on our podcast today. I'm strangely <laughs> reminiscent of them. Uh, Raise Arcana is uh, a lemons into lemonade game. And, and what does that mean? Well, Terraforming Mars, Race for the Galaxy, these are games where you're given a whole bunch of junk and asked to make an engine out of it and an engine that goes faster than your opponents. Uh, it does it, I think as well as any I've ever played. And I, I look, I, I'm, I'm slightly biased because I love that experience. I absolutely love the feeling of being handed a whole bunch of junk and being tasked with figuring out how to put it together and make it go faster and better than anybody else's and win the game. Now, the game I would imagine is pronounced Res Arcana, but the, if you watch a video where the designer talks about it, he says Rez Arcana over and over again. And I think that's, there's a reason for that. And I think it's because he's slightly homaging race, race for, for the, the galaxy, galaxy and putting this in that world a little bit. Okay. And also letting you know that this is a race game. Race for the Galaxy is, as the title would imagine, it is a race game. You are racing to have a certain amount of points before anybody else. That is the whole game. Correct. This is the same thing. But I think it takes it and cleans it up, makes it faster. And I think, uh, I think it's much more strategic than race. I think race is almost a purely tactical game. The amount of cards in the game are so overwhelming that uh, there's no way of, of, of knowing what you might get or what you might have. Raise Arcana takes that and adds in a deck building element. So let's briefly talk about the game. Let me just give you a, a basics of the game. Okay. First to 10 points ends the game. Doesn't win the game, ends the game. When somebody gets to 10 points at the end of the round, you check for victory. If somebody has 10 points, they win. If multiple people have 10 points, whoever has the most points wins the game. So uh, in case of a tie, and in case of a tie, it comes down to who has the most gold and then the most resources after that, yep. I believe. Um, resources in the game uh, are called essences. There are four main resources in the game. Life, death, Elan and calm. Yes. Uh, Elan would just be water. Sure. And <laughs> oh, no. Calm is water. Uh, Elan, Elan is red. Right. Fire. That's right. Right. And the, and the fifth and resource, gold. which is worth more than the others, basically two to one, is right. gold. Right. So uh, on your turn, uh, you are going to be playing cards. And this is a drafting and deck building game. And, and to me, the preparation to play the game is as enjoyable as the game itself. So um, there is a beginner's version of the game, which I do not recommend. The beginner's version of the game, or even sort of the basic version of the game, is just get a hand of eight cards, do your best with them. I don't enjoy that. To me, that is, uh, I, that's how I would play with people who don't play games very often. And I think it's a fine game. It's okay, let's just do the best with what we have. But the odds are somebody's just going to have won the game before the game starts because you could just get a great combo or you could get a crappy combo and now you can't win. Same reason I would never in a million years play Terraforming Mars without drafting. I just, it's not a game. Sure. I actually think it's a bad game. And I think this is potentially an unenjoyable game to me without the drafting. I mean, we would say the same thing about, you know, the greatest game of our lifetime, Agricola. 
<laughs> you also would need to draft in order to play that game correctly. Correct. That's correct. Uh, so uh, the version of the game that I will only play for Ray's Arcana is the one where everybody gets four cards. You pick one, draft to the left uh, until you have four cards in your hand. Then you draw. Then everybody gets another hand of four cards and you draft to the right until you have a hand of eight cards. Uh, at the beginning of the game, you get you will have those eight cards and you will have two mages, so which is sort of your character. You're going to be given two. You're going to pick one of those and then draft a deck of eight cards. Uh, that is going to be your starting position. Then uh, And then that's your whole deck. You're going to have eight cards in your deck for the whole game. And that's it. You're going to shuffle up that. You're going to draw three. And every round, you're going to add one. And that's it. You are uh, There are not many cards in this game. That's it. That's your eight cards. Do your best to build an engine out of that. Um, what are you fighting for? There are places of power. There are 10 in the game. You play with five every time. So there's a lot of variability in that of which five are out there. And there are also monuments, which are which cost gold to purchase. Right. And at any given point from the, a large deck of those, you can see two of them. Right. So the main strategy in the game is deciding how to best use the places of power to get points. The places of power usually involve, they're usually expensive. So you're, you're building an engine just to get one. And you're often racing with other people to get to specific ones. That's part of the race. Mm-hmm then getting those, and then racing to load it up with points. So almost all places of power involve putting things on them to get more points. So put something on this, now it's worth one point. Next turn I put something on it, now it's worth two points, and on and on. So you're racing, try to get to 10 points. The other route is going the alchemical route, which is using finding an engine for gold and buying uh, the artifacts. What, no, they're not called art. What monuments? Monuments, it? yeah. Buying the monuments, which can range between one and three points. Um, and that's usually the ticking clock. You usually have half the players going monuments, half the players going place of power, or at least you need always one player going monuments, I think, because that sets the clock. The monuments are, okay, I can pretty much make sure that I'm getting one to three points every round. Uh, everybody else now is on a clock. A five-round a five round game. Yeah, well, there's, there's, it's unlimited rounds. If but, it's one to three is what I'm saying. Right. Usually, the average rounds in this game is somewhere between four and seven. I'd say that's I've, seven is very long, four is short. Um, they're usually five or six rounds long. Yeah. Um, and, and what's fun about this game is almost every game I've played, everybody's within a turn of winning at all times, you know, towards the end of the game. So like if the game ends on five, most people are getting to 10 around that. And then it really is a race element of I, most of the games I played end with not 10 points, but 15, 14, 13 points. Uh, most people are crossing that 10 point threshold on the same round and fighting to see who can eke out the most points. When their engine has exploded and now they're, they're, they're right. not going to get that one point to make it to 10. They're going to get the four points to make it to 14. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of fun, a lot of really cool combos you can put together to start getting those. And it really feels like Terraforming Mars in terms of like at the beginning of Terraforming Mars, the first like five, six rounds of that game, you feel like, oh man, how am I ever going to build an engine that does anything? It's so slow. And then at some point you realize like, oh, I'm generating a ton of stuff here every round. I can do a lot. Okay, now how do I maximize this engine? Uh, I think Ray's has the, a similar feel where uh, the first few rounds, um, it's like very slow. You're collecting things. Oh man, it's going to take me forever to get this place of power. And then if you've done it correctly, uh, there's a point where you can sort of explode and go from you know five points to 10 in one round. Um, and I love that experience. I find that really fun. Um, it's not a, uh, heavy game. It's, I'd say it, I'd say it's a strong medium game. I think the beginner version of this game where you're not drafting, uh, is very easy to teach. And I would play with almost anybody. The version where you're drafting and stuff, you really need a, a Euro minded gamer to enjoy it. I might call it light medium. I I don't think there's anything in there that you can't teach. There's nothing you couldn't teach in this game to an eight year old. 
Uh, yeah, the drafting. I mean, sure. After a certain amount of plays, you could learn. That's see, that's the nice thing about the game is there's not that many cards in the game. There's a small amount of cards. Um, there's a small amount of plays to power. You can sort of learn everything. It's almost like if you, I, to me, it feels like you took Race for the Galaxy and just went, how do I make this really strategic? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I make it so that you know you, you can be prepared for anything? Like, and that's what I like about this game is like I pretty much know all the options. And especially in a two-player game, all I've seen every card that's in the game. I've seen the cards I'm handing you. I've seen the cards I'm taking myself. I have perfect information. The only information I don't have is what's coming off the monument deck and what you're going to get. But the monument deck, I always know it's between one and three. So I, I, I always have to sort of work towards the worst case scenario uh-huh. and, and, and build off that. Um, I absolutely love this game. I think it's my favorite fast engine builder. I, I like it almost as much as Terraforming Mars. I, I'm really thoroughly enamored with the game. I, I'm excited for an expansion, but I don't think it needs it. It's a game that I always want to play, and it, it scratches a great itch for me. And I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on the game, Tom. We should have just done this as our debate because I do not care for I know. Race Arcana. This is one of our first like real contentious reviews that we've ever had on the podcast where I absolutely adore it, and you really don't like it. No, I don't. And now, let's say a few things, okay? Um, I like Tom Lehman. I like Tom Lehman games. Yeah. I like games in, in general, and Race Arcana is not... Uh, it's not so bad that I would tell somebody, whatever you do, don't play that game. It's it's awful. But at the same point, it's not very good. I don't think it's great. Um, in the sub-one-hour strategy game that's got a decent amount of strategy, uh, I could send you other ways. And so here are some problems. Um, the theme for me is as generic as generic can be. Oh, I love it. It's, 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 I find it very evocative. See, that's the thing. You have a thing about fantasy games. If somebody's going to do a fantasy theme, if it's generic at all, that's a huge mark against it for you. Yeah. And yeah, I, it I, is. You, because, you got, because there are so many out there. Dude, there's, if you count, I think this one's awesome. If you count up the top 100 games on Board Game Geek... I guarantee you there are more fantasy themed games than any other. See, than here, any other. And so if you are going to do that, if you're going to go there, you got to bring it. You got to give me something different. You got to give me a twist on it, a spin on it. You got to give me something that you have to tell a story. There's no story in here. There's no, no story but in I'm here. Not, of course it not. Is, There's is, no story in Terraforming Mars or Race for the Galaxy either. There's a, a, totally a, a story a in Terraforming Europe. Mars. Mm, I mean, I don't care me? about it. You may not care about it, but there is every single one of those cards is a technology that has been that has been theorized. I Everything feel, these there is there is a ton of research that went into the cards and the design and the and the theory of everything that goes into that game. That okay. is huge. well, as a Euro player who is down to play a game that looks like it was pasted together at a Kinko's. Um, let's move past the theme because that shouldn't matter to you. Um, uh, well, it is. It's it's not. It's not the only thing, but it's part of the thing. I uh, think it's. I think if this had a different theme, I think you'd actually like the game. I don't think so. Okay. So here we go. Here we get to point number two. There is a point at which a race game becomes a bad thing. Mm. What if I said to you, you and I, we're going to play a race game, and it takes three minutes to play. Mm-hmm. Would that be a red flag to you? Um, I would think there's probably a good amount of luck in that if, if we're actually racing in under three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's not enough time for me to feel like I've really had a, a fair shot at, at developing mm-hmm. something and seeing it come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reza feels that way to me. Mm. It feels like the game is going to be over in probably five rounds of people are playing competently. Yeah. If in the draft process, you know, I, I look at four cards, I pass one. 
I'm you making pick that one. choice. Pick I'm picking one past three. I beg your pardon. Um, I'm making that decision pretty blindly. I've, I've, I've looked at a very small amount of cards. And when that. No, but you have your mage and you have all the places of power as well and the monuments. I see, I see what's out there. Yeah. I see what's out there. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, the, there are so many ways that the that simply the, the draft itself is going to let you get to the grove, whatever, or the, the, the throne uh, one action before I get there. And then and then you take that. So are you it's saying just, you think there's too much luck in the game? I do. I do. I do. I do feel that I, I feel that the game, the short length of the game is such that the that who wins the game has more to do often enough not all the time mm. a lot of time a lot of time the winner is the person that strategized and 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 used their cards the best uh but a, a lot of the time it's you and i are playing the best hand that we can with the hand that we've been dealt and it just so happens that the the way it, the way it lines up you're going to you're going to be able to do all these things one action one turn uh before i am and you're going, and you're going to, you're going to eke out that, you get that win there. Um, I think the best player would win this game over eighty percent of the time. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think it's once again. You said uh, that it's really close. Like at the end of the game, almost everybody has well, that. If has, you're has competent, those, if you're competent, if, if, like well, I've played with people who've not played before, and they're nowhere near ten, and the people who have are. Sure, sure, but you know, how many times have you played this game? Probably ten times. Right, I played it three times, and you know, the last game we played, I I, I won. I didn't feel like I played a, a particularly better game, better game than you. I think it just, well, I, I'll, it, it I'll, just came. You know, you went uh, monuments, and I didn't. And I think I needed to, I needed to start attacking to slow you down because you were playing a faster game than I was. And I needed, I I think I could have known earlier that, I, and I had attack cards, and I chose not to play them because sure. I thought. I might be fast enough to catch up, and I wasn't. And I needed to be playing it. I could have totally slowed you down if I had, I, I drafted two attack cards on purpose. So there, there are there's a, a little bit of a take that element in this game. Not take that as much as careful. Careful. I need to do. Th- I can do things that can make you lose resources, and you have to plan to protect them. Sure. Now I did have the the, the healer, mm-hmm. so I did create. I had life mm-hmm. to spend, so yep. which is a, a fairly good defense in and of itself. But you wouldn't have had that life to do other things potentially. Sure. Sure. Look, which brings up another thing. Um, the the player experience for me of playing this game is play a card, tap that card, spend one resource and get two different resources. Spend you know spend two resources and get two different resources. And now I have six resources and three of this and three of that, so I can buy this. You could have just described terraforming Mars. Not really. Really? It's not really because there's a board because there's 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 so many other things you're doing. You're you're the the goals that you have in that game are wide and varied. Am I going for am I going for playing uh victory points that are cards in my hand? Mm-hmm. Am I trying to build up my plants so that I can start putting forests on the board? Mm. Am I racing to get to milestones before other players? I mean there's so many there's so many different strategies whereas in this there isn't. It's everybody is going for the same five cards that are out there. Seven cards if you can, if you count the monuments. Well, but the, but what you're going for is your is is your whole strategy. I mean, it's not like they're all equal. But they're not that different. They're not that different. The, the, the cards are this one costs the three, of power. You mean three of this, three of this, and two of that versus this one, which costs five of this and two of that. They and guess have, what? They have different speeds at which they gain points, though, and they have different values of them. I mean, there's some that are easier to get. There's some that are harder to get. There's some that that, that explode faster or slower. 
but the experience is still to me an experience of bean counting. And Mm. I am, I am generating one extra bean than you are, which means I'm going to be able to get to a and B faster. And Mm. I'm going to leave you to choose between C and D. Yeah. And then adding the attack cards to me, uh, there was a thread on BGG, Mm -hmm. uh, Rado, uh, prolific game reviewer. Um, gave a very glowing review to Res Arcana. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the review, he said that, listen, I'm a Care Bear. I don't like uh, take that. I don't like attacking other players. I play with my wife, and I don't like to do that. He's very upfront about his very unusual requirements for a game, which are not typical of most players. Yeah, I wouldn't even say requirements. It might be too strong, but, but preferences. Requirements right? to, to make it a game in his collection, I think. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, he said at the end of the game that he thought that uh, at the end of the review that he thought that the one thing for Res Arcana for him was mm-hmm. that it's a brilliant design, but he doesn't like the experience of the, the attack cards mm-hmm. and the take that element. I got to say, I, I do not share that in 90% of the times he says that. I do share that here. Mm. This game is... I think it needs them as... I think it, it needs to be on the table. I know, but that, but that, doesn't, that doesn't help. That doesn't help. Mm. What, I, what I just described the game experience to me as, which is uh, trading in two resources for one resource, and at the end of the round, I got one extra bean than you have, mm-hmm. to then put attack card into the game, where this game is only going five rounds. Five mm-hmm. rounds, this game is over, and all you're doing by playing that attack card, you're spending a lot of resources to put it out there, but you're what you're doing is, is you're, you're taking two beans away from me. You're slowing. You're adding more rounds to the game. Listen, I'm not saying that I don't get the strategy of it. All I'm saying is, is that the play experience of a race in which you are, you're eking out these tiny incremental gains to be able to get up enough of an engine mm-hmm. to buy the things that are expensive. And then people are playing these cards that are costing resources. And by the way, costing resources to defend as well as to, uh, as well as to, even whether you're, whether you're successfully attacked or not, you're usually, it's usually costing you resources well, to do that. It's just a, it, it is one of these games that uh, I don't really enjoy the play of it. Really? So, so to me, I think he's responding to a criticism from Race for the Galaxy, which I shared, which is that to me, it's a completely multiplayer solitaire game. And at some point, somebody raises their hand and goes, bingo, everybody look at my board. I won. Oh, okay, game's over. And to me, that's sort of the experience of race. I enjoy race. I think it's a fun game, but I think there's literally no player interaction. I think it's just one person at some point raises their hand and goes, hey, if, if you, I, I just won right here. I'm, so game's over. To me, there is a ton of player interaction in this. And, and the least interesting of it is the dragons, but I think there's player interaction in when you pass in the round. That's, that, that, that passing thing is worth one point. Is There's a huge jockeying for that in terms of uh, timing it so that you're getting the right uh, little powers that you're getting for passing. Um, in terms of fighting over the monuments, in terms of fighting over the places of power, you know, the way you win is, is all about what's communal as opposed to what's in your hand. Your hand is the tools to getting the communal things. Whereas in, in Race for the Galaxy, your hand is also how you're winning and how you get points. I've got to disagree about that too. I mean, Race for the Galaxy has got a great player interaction mechanism, which is the action selection system. The action selection system, if I don't choose this action and nobody else chooses that yeah, action, you'll get it with the bonus. Nobody, yeah. nobody gets to take that action. Yeah. And I know I can see what your tableau is. I can see what you're building and I can starve you. I'm, I can force you every single time you want to do the things that you need to do. You have to be the one to take that action. Mm-hmm. You can't draft off of anybody else's. 
I, when I'm playing competitive Race for the Galaxy, I'm not, I'm not the greatest Race for the Galaxy player in the world, but I love it. Uh, when I'm playing that, I am paying very close attention to what everybody else is, is doing, and I am making sure that if you have an advantage over me, if you're closer to winning than I am, that every single action that you need to win, you have to take yourself, and that is slowing you down, whereas yeah. I can draft off of what other people are doing because we're all, we're all focused on that. That's a huge part of Race for the Galaxy, and that is far from multiplayer, multiplayer solitaire. Uh, yeah, look, uh, l- let me just finish it by saying this, is that, that I, 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 don't really, I, I don't really like the, the theme, and the play of the game to me feels just, it feels uninspired. Mm. It feels like, uh, like, yeah, it feels to me like it's very much bean counting. I have four different, uh, five different colored things in front of me, and I'm trading a couple of these to get a couple of these because I need five of these to get that card. And then people are throwing in these cards that are taking away these things that I just spent two or three turns getting. Uh, yeah, I don't find it that pleasant. For me, and, and, and now listen, it's a short game. It takes a half hour, 45 minutes. As a filler, you could certainly do worse. But let me just list a few games that play in roughly the same time span that I would rather play. Okay. Me, myself. Istanbul, Santorini, Azul, Splendor, Glory to Rome, Samurai, Modern Art, Ethnos, For Sale, High Society, Innovation, Bonanza, Cryptid, Through the Desert, The Bloody Inn, Colossal Arena, Cartagena, Sleuth, Docmas, and The Estates. I would play any of those games. Uh, overplaying this. I think there's a, there's a, there's a wide realm of, of, of games. And by the way, those games are all strategy games, but they're wildly different in terms of their, their feel. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would rather play any of them than I would play Res Arcana. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a bad game. I just think the play experience for me, it, it just doesn't ring any bells for me. That's so interesting. I mean, we, we had literally the opposite experience with it. To me, it was revelatory. It was when I first played, when I first read the rule book, I was so excited for it because it's like, oh, this is exactly what I want out, mm-hmm. of, a, out of a game for the most part. I mean, and, and, I, and I agree with Rado that this is Tom Lehman's masterpiece, that this is him taking everything he's learned and putting it into one game that I think has the potential of being an expandable and incredible game for years. I'm excited to play this game for a long time. This mm-hmm. to me is a, an evergreen game. I'm, I, I, I could see wanting to play this in five years and with multiple expansions and seeing how things change. Whereas I, I think Race for the Galaxy and, and New Frontiers are astonishingly good and still hold up uh, uh, to this day really, really well. And, and that to me is, is a masterpiece for them. So on your scale from nine to 10, what do you give this game? From nine to 10? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I rated this on BGG an 8.5. I think an 8.5 Ooh, is a very fair score. That's a slam. Why do, why do you do that's not at all. It's an incredible <laughs> score. I have to have room to grow here, Tom. Uh, what, what's the worst review you've given on the show so far? Uh, we've, I've reviewed mostly positive games. I didn't like Detective very much. I probably would have given that a 4 out of 10. Really? Detective? Yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, Chronicles of Crime? Oh, Chronicles of Crime, I mean. Yeah, I you didn't do Detective. No, I haven't played Detective. No, Detective is much better. Okay, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, ask, ask Trey. He'll tell you, he'll tell you Detective is a, lot, is a lot better. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's our review of Res Arcana. Um, if you, I mean, to me, check it out. Read the rule book. Watch, uh, watch Rado's video of it. Check it out for yourself. I think, I think it's best as a two-player game. I will say that. I do enjoy it as three and four. I think it's a different game. I think it's, uh, there's, you have to worry about it a little more. But I, I really love the back and forth um, sort of take. I mean, if you like Magic the Gathering and Race for the Galaxy and Terraforming Mars... I think you've combined them all into maybe your grail game. And mm-hmm. I, to me, that's, that's something I was looking for. 
And I'll say that, uh, listen, uh, I, I respect Matt enough to know that if Matt really, really loves something, then it could just be something that I'm, that I'm missing or that doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, hit the tuning fork for me. Yeah, you were the, the odd man feel. out because every single person in our group really likes this game. Trey loves this game. I mean, like, and that's surprising to me because... Really? Yeah. I didn't, I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that's what he said, but... but oh, well, he's told me he really likes it. Well, he then maybe, it's maybe... He said it's a game he'd play anytime. It's fine. So my recommendation is, is that uh, see if you can try it before you buy it. Yeah. If you can uh, try it before you buy it, you'll figure out what what you like. If you love it, get it. It's also Absolutely the first it. game from a new publisher, Sandcastle Games. This is their first and only game. Um, they are brand new, and I definitely am very excited for everything they do at this point on. The game's only $40, too. Uh, not, not an expensive game. I'm very sorry, Sandcastle Games. I didn't mean to, to, to trash and I think your, the, I think you get a lot for $40. Thanks. I think the components are gorgeous, and I think it's the production value is... Uh, rivals anything at its price point um that is it for our review let's move on to our debate <sighs> today's debate is a classic <laughs> this is this is a big fight this is two great designers we're both going in knowing these are great designers look and part of the fun of this debate is that of course we have taken different sides but i think tom and i could have swapped sides and and given a rousing uh, a d- debate as well. This is debate club. This isn't. Yeah. This isn't. I feel I, strongly I don't about hate, this. I love Uwe Rosenberg, and Tom loves Vital Lacerda. Absolutely. Uh, we own most of their games, uh, but we are. This that is, said. That said, Matt and and Vital are going down. Well, that being said, Uwe Rosenberg is is not, is not even a debate. I mean, Lacerda <laughs> is clearly a better designer, uh, and we're going to get into that. Um, Tom, how should we decide who goes first? Well, perhaps we should roll a 30-sided die because I'm really crushing <laughs> I'll it. I'll pull one out. <laughs> While Matt is going to do that, I am going to uh, uh, say a few more things about Res Arcana that are going to get very upset. Okay. He rolled a All one. Right. He I literally just... He, you you anything. just rolled. I didn't roll. I, put I just saw you. You, you. you rolled. That's ridiculous. It rolled and you got a one. Would you like me to roll now? We're you rolling to see who one. does our opening statement first. Listen, Jesse, what are you doing? <laughs> he rolled a four. Well, good luck. Okay, let's see what we get here. A 19. All, All right. right. So uh, the order of this is going to be, we're going to do a, what did we say for timing here? We'll do like three minutes, four minutes? Yeah, something about a three minute, four minute three opening minute, four statement. Three minute, four minute opening statement. Then after that, uh, I, he will do his opening. I will do mine. Then Tom No, will, I beg your pardon. I get to choose and I would prefer you to. Oh, oh, you get to choose. Okay, I will do my opening first. Then uh, opening, opening, and then we'll each have two rebuttals Sounds to things great. that we've said and then we'll have our closing statements. Sounds great. And just remember, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that is what you are. You are the jury. You are going to go on Facebook and you are going to tell us who won. You're just going to vote in our poll and decide who you think won. And, and, you know, are you voting for our our, uh, argument or are you voting for the designer? That's up to you. I think you should vote for the argument. Listen, when it comes right down to it, we're not going to tell you what's at stake. Hopefully our arguments helped sway you on which design right we're not going to tell you what's actually at stake depending on who wins (laughs) all i can tell you is that uh my condo is an absolute mess and i could really use some help oh geez so this will be great i'm gonna be cleaning your condo okay um hi hi jury my name is matthew robinson (laughs) and i'm here today to talk to you about vital lacerda a fantastic designer today i'm going to use a metaphor to help us better understand the debate we are having And it is one that I have a good deal of experience in. Are you reading from a teleprompter? Uh, No, but I have notes. As the metaphor I will use is film directors. I believe that much like the great auteurs of modern modern cinema, I think we can use the same lens to view modern board game designers. A game designer's body of work is much like a film director's oeuvre. And their bar by which we judge a director's work is not a single film, but their entire body of work in that oeuvre. 
In order to be a great director, to be one of the best in the medium, you have to have a body of work that stands the test of time. And I think great designers must be held to the same standard. There are two ways in which to judge said great body of work, quantity and quality. Some directors are prolific. They create a huge body of work, one or two masterpieces perhaps, a few good films, and a whole lot of filler. Some directors only made a handful of films in their life, but each one a genre-defining masterpiece. My metaphor is this. Vital Lacerda is the Stanley Kubrick of game designers. With only seven games under his belt, each one shaped and defined our board game hobby. Vinos, CO2, Kanban, The Gallerist, Lisboa, Escape Plan, and On Mars. Seven games, seven masterpieces. While Uwe Rosenberg, I would argue, is John Ford. Yes, he made a couple of masterpieces. The Searchers, Stagecoach, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. But he also made 135 other films you've never heard of. Uwe Rosenberg has 220 games on BGG listed in which he is the designer. Yes, he made Caverna and Agricola and La Havre, but he also made Marlowe, Lifetime, Comgleich, Barkin Hunter, Space Beans, Clunker, Titus, Babel, Libets, Bean Trader, Nottingham, and Mercator. I ask you, who is the better director in your estimation? The one who never made a bad film? Who has a collection of perfectly manicured masterpieces? or the man who churns them out like hotcakes, taking a shotgun approach to design, and in the long run, watering down his oeuvre. I asked the jury today to decide for themselves, what makes a better board game designer? The Stanley Kubrick of board games, or the John Ford? Thank you, jury. I now turn it over to the defense. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I just want to thank you all for taking your time out of your, out of your long and hard days to listen to the nonsense that we've heard for the last three minutes. <laughs> but please, this is, a, this is a battle. This is a fight. Mm. So let's take the tale of the tape. Uwe Rosenberg has designed, as Matt said, over 200 games. But when you look on Board Game Geek, they do an abridged list of notable games. These are the cream of the crop. What are the games that, when it comes right down to it, are the most famous, or the ones that, that everyone should take note of, the ones that are remarkable and make a mark on in the industry? Uwe Rosenberg has 24 games on that list. Vito Lacerda has eight. And those eight include Vinos and Vinos Deluxe as two separate games. And... CO2 and CO2 Second Chance as two separate games. That's correct. Now, you might be thinking, well, you know, Uwe Rosenberg, uh, clearly a much older man, and, you know, he's, he's been in the business for a long time. Well, as a matter of fact, Uwe Rosenberg is 49 years old. Vito Lacerda is 53. Jobs, Uwe Rosenberg has been a game designer. He designed his first game when he was 12 years old. What is that? Mozart? Yes. Yes, Mozart. Full game designer, full stop. Where's Vito Lacerda? He was an ad man. He worked in marketing for most of his life and came to game design late after selling people things they don't need. Let's talk about awards, right? Awards is a great way to determine these things. Uwe Rosenberg, well, he has two different IGA Games of the Year, a Golden Geek Award, a Dice Tower Game of the Year Award, a Dutcher Spiel de Jar Award, 
What does Vito Lacerda have? Vito Lacerda did get one award, though. He got the Jodo de Ano, which is the award for best game at Spiel Portugal. That's what he got. And, you know, listen, Spiel Portugal is a big deal. It's not the, the worst thing in the world, but that, that's his only award. But guess what? Uwe Rosenberg has two Jodo de Anos at Spiel Portugal. In the top 100 games on Board Game Geek, Uwe Rosenberg has got Caverna at number 23, Agricola at 25, A Feast for Odin at 27, Lahav at 40, Fields of Arl at 53, and Patchwork at 64. Vidal has two games in the top 100. He has the Gallerist at 60 and Lisboa at 74. Listen, they're great games. I'm not going to say that everything Uwe Rosenberg does is great. He has this trilogy of, of little games, Cottage Garden, Indian Summer, and Spring Meadow. They sound like feminine hygiene products. I understand this. They're not, they're not ideal. But that doesn't mean that the sum total of the games that this guy has made are not absolutely exceptional and widely varied. Even their names. Uwe Rosenberg sounds like a codebreaker that helped win World War I or a Soviet spy that nearly cost us the Cold War. But either way, that's, that's exciting. Lacerda sounds like an Italian sports car that's always in the shop. It's so funny because guess what I wrote, Matt? If Vito Lacerda was a director... <laughs> if Vito Lacerda was a director... It's a shame you went second. He'd be Lars von Trier. Yeah, he makes masterpieces, but I kind of got to psych myself up to watch one. If Vito Lacerda was a TV show, he'd be Treme. If Vito Lacerda was a food, he'd be Sea Urchin. If Vito Lacerda was a comedian, he'd be Hannah Gadsby. Sure, all of them, we know they're great, but they're not great in that, in that way that you're just dying to, to get it out there and get it on the table. I look forward to your rebuttal, Mr. Robinson. Well, I'll start by saying that uh, you said Uva has been designing since he was 12 and it's been his full-time job his entire life. Um, I'd say it's a lot more impressive for somebody who also still has another full-time job in addition to being a designer and didn't start till in his 30s. I think that's wildly more impressive than someone who has been doing it their entire lives and it's all they've ever done. As a man who, this is his hobby. This is his hobby and he's coming in and giving us masterpieces. Uh, I would also say, yes, Uva has more awards. He has more games in the BGT Top 100. Vital Lacerda games aren't for everyone, Tom. He doesn't want them to be for everyone. He makes games for himself, much like most great artists. Whereas Uwe Rosenberg has put out 437 polyomino games in the past three weeks, I believe. <laughs> um, at this point, um, if, if an Uwe Rosenberg game comes out and it doesn't have a polyomino in it, I, I don't know if it's an actual Uwe Rosenberg game anymore. He uh, changes his his design profile so often. If, uh, I have no idea what a game means if it comes from Uwe Rosenberg anymore. But I know if a Vital Lacerda game comes out, that it's going to be quality and it's probably going to be a masterpiece. Interesting. Interesting. So he makes games for himself and he doesn't want these games to be for everyone. That's a, it's an interesting argument in favor of Vital Lacerda. Have you noticed something about Vital Lacerda games? They are all variations on a theme. They are very, very similar. If you look at the board of Venus, 
you will see what it is, is it's this huge board with tons of little areas, and each of those areas have a little mini game in them. There's the mini game of getting the, uh, of selling your, your stuff, putting your stuff in, putting your uh, wine in competition, of getting uh, the, the mini game of getting the experts on your side, of getting the vineyards, right? If you look at Lisboa, You've got the mini game of drafting the right cards, of getting the ships, of picking up the rubble, of placing the, the buildings in, in the city. There are all these little mini games on a very complicated board. If you look at Galler, it's the same thing. If you look at Kanban, you've got the mini game of picking up parts. You've got the mini game of making the cards. You've got the mini game of getting the blueprints. You've got the mini game of testing the cars on the track. I guess what I'm saying is, is they're all great games. I love it and I love playing them, but how do you get points for basically re creating a different theme and switching up exactly what the, the mini games are, but essentially delivering the same game experience over and over again? Bonanza is an amazing card trading game. Agricola is, an ama is the worker action space game that changed the entire industry. A Feast for Odin introduced a whole new element. Suddenly now everybody is, is coming up with spaces where you can put two or more workers to get a better action than you had before. That wasn't done before there. Lahav, his follow-up to Agricola, a radically different game than Agricola. Is it, an, is, is it an, a worker action space? Not really. You only have a single worker and you're only going to move that worker a few times in the entire game. Patchwork, a two-player game using polyonomous. The games that he's designing are radically different. He gives you different looks, different experiences. He expands his range. Kubrick? I think Kubrick made 16 movies, and they are radically different from each other. You want to know who Stanley Kubrick is in the board game world? It's Uwe Rosenberg. Let's talk about different games uh, if we, that's where the route we're going to go down, because I think that's a wildly big mistake on your part. Uh, let's look at uh, theme, first of all. I don't think you will find a designer who has never repeated a theme once again in, in the board game world. Literally every game he makes is a different world, a different theme, a different thing for you to learn about. Nobody in gaming combines theme and mechanics as well as Vital Lacerda. I dare you to tell me the story of one, of, of one game of Agricola you've ever had. I mean, how many farming games has he made? How many different games in the same generic, you know, trading in the Mediterranean, farming for things in Germany? They're all the same thing. Neusford was the most thematic game he's ever made. And that was about a fishing village in, in Norway. This man has made a game about, about wineries. He's made a game about saving the world from carbon dioxide. He's made a game about Japanese car manufacturers, about owning a gallery, about, uh, about recreating Lisboa after a massive earthquake, of a heist movie brought to life before your eyes, Every, about, about, about sustaining a livable world on Mars after Earth is destroyed. Stanley Kubrick gave you a different genre each time. Vital Lacerda gave you a different world and a different world to learn about. And he combined exciting, incredible heavy mechanics perfectly in that world where one could almost say it's a simulation and a game. I do like the themes of Uwe Rosenberg. I mean, of uh, oh. Vital Lacerda, I should say. 
I, I, I do appreciate that. Though, to say he gives you a different game each time when, of his eight games, I will point out again, Venus and Venus Deluxe are two different games. And CO2 and CO2 Second Chance are two different games. Hardly, hardly he is swinging for the fences and coming up with a new theme with each game. Uwe Rosenberg does, doesn't do that, right? He comes up with, with new things. Uh, I think that the games that you play with Uwe Rosenberg are very, very different. I think the themes of Vita Lacerda are very, very different. I don't think the games are radically different. I think that they are actually quite more similar. If you told, if you told me that you could take eight Uwe Rosenberg games onto a desert island with four people that you were going to be stranded with, or the eight Vittel Lacerda games, I would choose the Uwe Rosenberg games. I would miss the Vittel Lacerda games, but I would be able to play more different games. They are just different, different mechanics. That's what games are. They are combinations of mechanics and different feel. He's got card games. He's got two-player games. He's got, he's got multiplayer games. He's got, he's got games of every type and variety, and he has excelled in every single one of these areas. I mean, I can't really think of another game designer that has really succeeded in a card game, in a worker placement game, in a two-player head-to-head game. I mean, this guy can do it all. There is nothing that he, he seems to be incapable of doing. And Vita Lacerda, where is he, what is he spawning? Who are the Vita Lacerda acolytes that are turning out games? There's nobody. He's making games, and nobody is imitating him. And you could say, oh, well, that's, that's his greatest strength. No, not really. If you want to be the greatest designer of the world, you should, be, you should be making games that are inspiring people and changing up the dynamic of game design. And Uwe Rosenberg has done that multiple times in his career. Bonanza changed the way we looked at card games and trading games. Agricola changed the entire industry. Patchwork and games like that have changed and revitalized the two-player strategy game. It's, it's just a fact. He is an absolutely amazing... They're both amazing designers, but one is the groundbreaker. The other one is an amazing artisan that is turning out games, but he isn't moving the needle for everybody else. That is the end of our rebuttals. Uh, we will now move into our closing statements. I assume I will begin as I began the... Yes, sir, please. Statements. We're not here to debate games. We're not debating who you take to a desert island. We're not debating uh, what your favorite game is by a designer. We're debating a body of work. We're debating who has the better body of work. I will say this, and, and I'm not sure much else needs to be said of this. Tom owns every single game ever made by Vital Lacerda. Every single one. And yet he's arguing to you that they're all the same. He's arguing to you that the man hasn't defined and changed modern board games. Clearly he has when I don't think he owns more games by any other designer than he owns by Vital Lacerda. Maybe he owns as many Uwe Rosenberg games. I tried to count thinking my head how many he owns. I came up to about nine. The man's made 220 games. Vital Lacerda's made seven. You own 100% of his games. I think you own multiple versions of a couple of Vital Lacerda's games. To me, all that matters in defining a great board game designer is the anticipation one feels for their next game. I want every juror to listen to this question and answer it for themselves, and that should give you the answer you need to know. A new game is coming out, one by Vital Lacerda, one by Uwe Rosenberg. That's all you know. 
They both cost the same. You must buy one. Are you excited to play the Uwe Rosenberg game? Do you have any idea what it's going to be like? Is it going to be a light, randomized polyomino game that you play with your children? Is it going to be Nusford or Lahav? Is it going to be some random thing that he's trying a different version of to see to, as he hones in on some idea that nobody knows what it is yet because probably eight more versions of the game later, he might actually crack it. You could hand over your money sight unseen with Vital Lacerda and have a 100% chance of getting an incredible game, judging by his track record. A new game is coming up by Uwe Rosenberg. It, it, there is right now. I don't even know what it is. There's probably eight coming out in the next six months. Do you even care? Do you even bother to find out what it's called? Or you just wait to see if anyone is talking about it in six months? It could be a feast for Odin, but it could also be Patchwork Doodle or Rakeholt or Spring Meadow or Cottage Garden. And by the way, every game I just mentioned is a polyomino game and they've all come out in the past two years. Do we really need to see every cut of your movie, Uwe Rosenberg? No. Just make it properly once and release it when it's ready, much like Vital Lacerda does with every one of his games. I rest my case, and I thank you for your time. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you've just heard a, a, a wonderful, wonderful defense of a man that has designed very little in his life. He's designed amazing things, but his lack of breath and lack of depth... Uh, is basically his argument. His whole argument is if a sight unseen, the next Vita Lacerda game or the next Uwe Rosenberg game, what is it going to be? Are you, you sight unseen, which one are you going to buy? I will tell you this. If you bought Vita Lacerda's next game, you bought a game called Dragon Keepers, which is currently 6999 on Board Game Geek and is out in Europe. It is a fantasy universe in which each player is the chief of a tribe of dragon keepers defending their dragons from the attacks by the evil hunter. The hunter wants those cute dragons dead, but must get past the dragon keepers. The keepers belong to different tribes, but together they have the common goal of protecting those dragons. The keepers use magic in their duels with the evil hunter. I don't know, man. I'm looking at the art. I'm looking at the game. Oh, it's sweet. He designed it with his daughter, Katrina. That's so sweet. She's actually the main designer of it, and he helped Doesn't her seem, with it. But, but feel free to attack a young girl. Why did he put his name on first, then? It's weird. That's weird, isn't it? If your daughter designed a game and you put your name first, that's just... Uh, listen, I, I don't want to knock one of, your, one of your heroes and one of your legends, but... It's kind of low. I mean, I would never do that. I would never do that to, to my own child. I wouldn't do that to a child that I don't even know. But I guess Vito did. Look, the fact of the matter is, is that Uwe Rosenberg designs fun games. And sometimes he designs amazing fun games. Vito Lacerda designs amazing games. And sometimes he designs amazing fun games. In summation, Vito Lacerda is a New Yorker cartoon. You appreciate the concept, you admire it, but it won't make you laugh too often. Uwe Rosenberg is XKCD. You get to have both. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I look forward to your vote. And just as one last reminder, my house is really, really messy, and anything you could do to help me would be greatly appreciated. What's XKCD? <gasps> what did you just say?
You don't know what XKCD is? I don't know what the, I don't what uh, XKCD? Yeah. I don't know what that is. <gasps> what is XKCD? The comic. Oh, I've never heard of it. Mm. That was our debate. We will not speak on it anymore. We'll leave it up to you. I think, Tom, you did a fantastic job. Matt doesn't know what XKCD is. I've never heard of it. I just want you to know that. That, that, just, that, is, that is the guy that is the arbiter of taste that, that you're That information that you're is not a part that, of the That you uh, are debate. voting for in I some way. I was just curious what you meant by that. Other than that, Matt, you did a great job that in the debate, fun. too. It that was, was fun. It was really good. I, I feel like we could have switched sides and both done a great job, too. But I absolutely could have, could have argued the yeah. Little yeah. Listener in a heartbeat, and I know you could have argued the Uber Rosen. So go to Facebook. Join our Game Brain podcast group you will be approved instantly as long as you can prove you're not a bot uh yeah we're, and, getting, we're getting a bunch of uh of really beautiful girls that only have like oh, four pictures of yeah, themselves that's why the facebook thing, does so. it that's good um so you know our numbers are real when you see them uh join and go to, and and vote in the poll decide who just won and we'll announce it on next week's podcast that was really great shall we do a couple board game sommeliers tom let's do it let's do it sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay which game should go? Which to play with Mama, Madame, Abu? You got to tell me, Monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. Another anonymous submission of a wonderful song. I will never know who made it, but thank you very much. Whoever you are out there, just know that... Uh, You're prolific. You're you're amazing, and why you're not a recording artist, I don't quite understand. Hey, Matt and friends. I love magic, Hearthstone, and deck building in general. My favorite is drafting, though, and I have hundreds of hours in Slay the Spire. So do I. Do you have any <laughs> recommendations for a board game that can perform similarly? I'm playing Arkham Horror LCG, and it's good, but it's not quite there. I'm thinking because it doesn't have that build-on-the-go, roguelike feel. I'm not sure. Hope you can help. Thanks a bunch. Keep up the great work. I didn't write down your name because I'm not sure it was in the email, but thank you very much, whoever wrote that. Um... I'm going to be honest with you. A good roguelike card game is what I'm looking for as well. It doesn't necessarily exist. I, if you hadn't said Arkham Horror LCG, that's what I would have recommended. I think that's the closest in terms of deck building and, and, and taking on adventures and doing your best in a roguelike feel. It's too bad that our game designer is busy developing a game for the American Dental Association. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise maybe he could uh, yeah. tackle that because that sounds like very fertile ground. I've said it before. My favorite deck builder is Thunderstone Quest. Um, that's a pure deck builder in the way of Dominion. I think it's the most interesting one out there. Maybe that will uh, will will give you that feel as it's you know but that's sort of a lemons to lemonade kind of thing like res arcana a little bit where it's sort of you look at the market and you do the best you can with it um i would love nothing more than if somebody made a slay the spire type game in the board game world that's my dream too i hope it comes tommy you want to read the next one sure uh this is from oh my goodness what is that name sj bolton i gotta go with sj bolton oh steve steve he says Steve at the bottom. Okay. Steve Bolton. Uh, re-listening to the podcast, you give a basic solution to flattening warped game boards. A better, more permanent solution is what I use for old sheets of postage stamps where the gum on the rear causes them to curl up. Get a, water, uh, a plant water mister. A squirt bottle that sprays water is a very fine mist. For stamps, I spread them out carefully on the sheet without separating the perforations with the gum side down and mist uh, above the f- side that's face up. I'm so glad I made you read this. Oh my God, what the heck are you doing to me? <laughs> Not to wetten or really moisten, but it very, very slightly moistens the top without affecting the gum. Now spread it on a baking sheet 
what the heck are you doing to me? This is the most set the, in the weeds email we've ever gotten. I love it. Set your oven at, no, it doesn't say that. Um, Look, he, this person is just giving you, a, I, I talked about how to flatten board game components. Oh, and I this remember. Person with the, with, you said me, the heavy dictionary. Sent me a four paragraph long explanation of a better way to do it. And I appreciate that, Steve. Do you think we could put this up on, on the, uh, on the I website? I think we could. I, I think, think we, we should could. put this on the website rather than reading the whole thing because it is... It is OCD heavy involved Look, and I get a plant water mister is the is the uh, t- TLDR of this. It's got seven other steps to it, though. It's, There's it's a lot. It's pretty intense. But uh, listen, I love it. I just appreciated this email a lot, Steve. Oh, I, uh, I, is, I, I love this it is too. as uh, in the weeds as we could possibly get. But guess what? what? At least once a year, I'll pull a game out and yeah. the boards will be yeah. will, will be warped. Well, and you I might need desperately to get a plant need something like this. Evidently, I do. All right. Uh, next is from Mike Barton. I love this podcast. Thanks, Mike. I just recently discovered it and have been listening through all your episodes on my daily bike rides. Your group seems so fun. I have three kids, age 8, 11, and 13. We played through Settlers of Catan and many expansions. We loved Pandemic Season 1. I recently tried Scythe with them, but that was a little over their heads. Do you have any recommendations for strategy board games that both them and I would enjoy together? Thanks for your help and keep up the great work, Mike. My recommendation here is Century Spice Roads, the Century Series. Sure. Uh, the first one being Spice Road, the second one being Easter something i always forget the name of it and third one is a new world the whole trilogy is out now and why i think this is going to be sort of one of my go-to euro gateways is that you can build it in stages and it will teach you the three sort of main mechanisms mechanics of euro modern board games the first one's going to teach you engine building the second one's going to teach you root building the third one is going to teach you worker placement if you own all three of these they all combine together by the end so you can sort of teach someone modern euro gaming in stages and i think that's why the designer made these games. I think this is a 101 Euro gaming uh, lesson mm-hmm. that you can literally, you, you play one, then you play the next one, and then you can combine them into a more complicated game. Then you play the third one, and you can combine all three into a, a game that has all of these modern Euro uh, classics involved now. And I think by the end of your children learning all three of these games, they will be ready for pretty much any medium weight Euro. I think that's great. Listen, uh, for kids that age, I have kids that age. So, uh, so I'm right there with you. Um, I think the key is you're looking for a relatively easy teach, strategic depth, and relatively short playing time. If you can get those three things together, then you have a game that is going to captivate them. Uh, I would recommend a game called Istanbul. Mm. It, it's, it's pretty short, pretty small box. It's pretty simple and easy worker to play. Placement. Work placement, worker movement. Yep. Uh, it's a race game. You're racing to mm-hmm. get a certain number of game. rubies. Very fun game. Very well designed. Uh, a really good one. I will also say that, that I always recommend uh, Castles of Man- Mad King Ludwig. Yeah, you love that game. It is. I've never played it. I keep wanting to. For, for, for kids, it is it's a it polyomino thing, game. right? Not, I mean, not, no, it's not polyominoes. It it's is not. different co- different sized rooms that will go into your castle okay your uh one person is the auctioneer and he is choosing which piece is going to be auctioned at 1000 uh florin which one is at 3000 all the way up to 15000 florin he gets the money from the auction other people get the pieces and they put them into their castle and figuring out how to make a castle work. The great thing about the game is that it is uh, we just did it at the uh, the, the church event. We had 80, yeah. 89 people show up for for game night. Oh, wow. People who had never played this game start playing it, and by the end of the game, they count up their score, they figure out who won, and they have the exact discussion. I didn't talk to them about mm-hmm. it at all, but they have the exact same discussion that my family does whenever we play the game, which is after you've scored the game and figure out who won, you have another whole debate and conversation about whose castle you'd want to live in. 
like you, your castle has got the billiards room yeah, yeah. and it's got the, you know, the, the garden and it's got the jousting field and this sort of stuff. But mine has got the, the, the dungeon and the queen's bedroom yeah, and the yeah. this and then that and the other thing. And That's so uh, it's, it's really, really a lot of fun. Uh, what was the biggest hit from this 89 person game night? Um, the biggest hit, uh, the people who played Splendor for the first time absolutely loved it. I would sure. also put that into the game, which, yeah. by the way, is a lot like uh, Century Road, right? Yeah, I, I prefer Century Road. is a slightly more complicated version of it, but I think more fun. Um, people played Bonanza, mm-hmm. uh, Uwe Rosenberg. Yeah. It's a great game for people this age. And the, But the biggest hit was the hit I took because there was this uh, a father and son who were at the, at the game night. Uh, who were looking for something to play and wanted to play something. And the only game they knew uh, uh, from this was Settlers of Catan. Mm-hmm. So guess what I played? Uh Castles of Ur- Oh, you played Settlers of Catan. <laughs> Settlers. Oh, no, really? I played Settlers of Catan. Did you win? <laughs> Did you no. beat them? Of course I made right, sure good. the kid won. Good. Are you kidding me? All Come right. on. You want to read the next one for us? Absolutely. Hi, Matt. Jason from Cleveland Hill here. Sometimes my game group is just my friend Kevin and I. Me too. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the other week, we didn't have enough time to play Spirit Island. Instead, we played a few lighter, shorter games such as Boss Monster that didn't scratch the itch the way heavier, more strategic games no, do. No, it would not. What games do you recommend for two that are more complex and tr- strategic but can be played in 30 minutes or less? Thank you so much. Loving the podcast. Helps me get through work and gets me pumped to play more games. Best, Jason. You got a rec here, Tom? Uh, yeah, I got a couple. I think uh, Patchwork is, is uh, Uwe Rosenberg again. But, uh, it's pretty is, light. It, but it's pretty strategic. I mean, you can... Okay. Two people that are playing it hardcore. I know, I know yeah, you, yeah. you and Rachel play yeah, a Rachel lot. But uh, if you and Paul play that game... It would be. It's. Yeah. It's it can be a little brutal. I think they're looking for something a little heavier. Though. It can get. It can get brutal. Azul. Yeah. I think is a, is a great game that that fits that uh, that mic, and then you get into things like. Um, What's the uh, the the guys who did Twilight Struggle did the JFK era game? Oh, 1960 it? making of a president. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, I'm gonna rec- maybe a little bit longer than 30 minutes, but I'm gonna recommend a 30 minute game that is very similar to Twilight Struggle. Apparently, that I'm very excited about. So coming literally shipping in the next two weeks and and debuting at Gen Con is Watergate from Capstone Games, which is very much the goal of it being Twilight Struggle in 30 minutes. Um, I've read the rules. I'm very excited for it. I should have it in the next week or so. I imagine we'll be doing a review of it soon, but I'm very excited for a 30 minute uh, Twilight Struggle. Oh, I would love it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, it looks pretty legit. So I would check that out. Um, it's shipping from Capstone in the next week or two. I think their pre-orders are still open. Otherwise, it will debut officially at Gen Con in August and probably hit re- normal retail not long after that. Okay. But that's an exciting game to me. Sounds great. Um, let's do one more. Hello from Minnesota. Sometimes games have brilliant new themes or mechanisms, but aren't enough to make the game itself shine. For example, I love the novel take Vasco da Gamo had on the bidding of turn order, though the game itself had some problems. Likewise with Mombasa's three discard piles. I'd love to hear you discuss what are some of your favorite specific mechanics in games you didn't like. What a great question. Thanks, Dave Funkanel. I believe I pronounced that correctly. I have no idea. You have no idea? I have no idea if I pronounced it correctly. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have games no idea. With, the, with mechanics you love uh, that you didn't like the game. Um, I guess that's a good, good question. 
to me, uh, when I think of uh, great mechanics, I, I think of a game that I actually do love, but mm. I've never seen anybody do that mechanic again. Okay. Uh, I think of Taj Mahal. Oh. Uh, Taj Mahal is a game in which you have a hand of cards and you are playing these cards one to two at a time and everybody is playing until people basically uh, go out, right? right? You're, you're trying to get a higher total. It's almost like a trick-taking game. The, it almost is. It, it plays a little bit like poker in, in, yeah. some, in some ways. Yeah. It's very interesting. And if I was designing a game today, I would see if I could find a new way to use uh, that mechanic. But I actually do love that game. So I, so, but it is one of those mechanics that I find just, just absolutely fascinating. To me, the game that comes to mind when, you're, when I read your uh, email was Spirit Island. Now, this is a beloved game. People love Spirit Island. It was, I put in my top three biggest disappointments in board games. And not because of anything the game did. I just don't like cooperative putting out fire games. I don't, I don't ever, I'm not interested in playing pandemic. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy four people sitting around a table and solving a cooperative puzzle. That's just not fun to me. And I was so surprised because it has two of my favorite things in the whole world, which is uh, asymmetrical powers, card-based uh, engine building. Yep. That's all it is. And I, when I first read the rules, I was like, oh, this is my dream game. <laughs> but then I sat around and played it probably four or five times and I was just like, it's just pandemic. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't get excited by somebody at the table going, guys, I'm going to put out all these fires over here. How are your fires doing? Like, oh, great. Did we put out all the fires? Yay. We won. I don't I just found it so boring. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. You know, now that I think about it, um, we played Impulse only once, but we yeah. played it by Carl Chuddock and it didn't quite come together. It's not quite a, a full game, but the idea of doing a 4X space exploration game where the map is cards and as you explore it you mm -hmm. flip the card over and that system gives you a certain ability sure. uh so control of these systems are literally control of extra abilities that you have on your turn i think is a great idea yeah. it just didn't quite work in that game i mean, definitely would want to give that game another shot it's a, it's a heavy game heavier than i think we anticipated yeah i think that's true but well but it's heavy and swingy and that's that's a tough combination that's true tough that is combination very true. and often with his games that is the case um, this is a great app, Tom. Yeah, loved Thanks it so much. No. We had a contentious. This is a, we're really sticking to the debate theme. We debated the review. We debated the debate. I think we did a great job. Tonight. You were over two on that, unfortunately. Oh, that says yet to be decided, Tom. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Tom. We'll see you again in four months. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we'll have you back at some point. We people have really been enjoying the episodes with more than one guest, so or more than one co-host, I should say. Uh, so we'll make sure to get back to those soon. Love it. Love it. Um, You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know as Alfred on the show. Enjoy them why you can. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach me at email at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter, GameBrain underscore pod. Instagram is just at GameBrainPod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. <laughs>